nothing smells as good as I told you so. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, oh, Florida Dems, Florida Dems. Y'all let us know when you're tired or you need your soap on the rope because <laughs> you guys just are not getting it. It's just unbelievable. No, it's definitely not good. And, you know, unfortunately, we're... As to my little wager yeah. with you, see, Peter and I had an over-under. I said that Charlie would lose by more than 10. I actually was calling 12. He thought he would actually lose under 10. So I'm just saying... And man, did he and Val concede very quick. <laughs> well, they didn't really have a choice. No. And obviously things got out of hand really quickly. And of course, once Miami-Dade went red, it definitely wasn't looking good. But where the rubber meets the road and now is looking really, really bad for the state of Florida is that apparently Palm Beach County is now leaning red. That's bad. Well, you guys might want to have some better considerations about who runs your state Democratic Party. Something to think about. Yeah. Maybe if you had somebody more competent in charge of your state party that actually inspired people to vote and decided to put up candidates that were more inspired than, let's say, Val and Charlie, maybe you guys would get somewhere. Or maybe if you had actual robust primaries, then maybe you would get somewhere. Um, I, I would like to say something, though, about what I was just watching when I before I came in here. It was Marco Rubio's speech. I don't know if anybody oh, saw it. Oh, I heard it. it for like two minutes. Okay. So oh, let me talk about the most ungracious, pompous, obnoxious, fear-mongering winner's speech that one little turd could make. And he is a little turd. But- he sat there and was, instead of being remotely gracious and saying, you know, Val ran a good race or, you know, whatever, let's get to work, let's do all this stuff. He stood there and just continued to slam Democrat stuff over and over and over again. Like, talk about not winning gracefully. And, I mean, I didn't vote for him because, he, again, he's a turd. But, um, yeah, he, there's nothing honorable about that little man. Florida has 28 congressional seats and 20 of them are going red. That's pretty bad. That's two thirds. Actually, that's more. That's 70%. And what's amazing is, is that no matter, I feel like no matter how many times we keep pointing out as to the reason for like, how bad the Florida Democratic Party is, people are just not wanting to get it. And it's really not that difficult to understand. You don't have a real party here. And I'll tell you when I knew it was really going to be bad this time. First of all, Broward is supposedly the bluest county in the state of Florida. The bluest county is where we live. I have not seen a single Charlie Chris lawn sign on a house. I haven't. I've only seen them in like public places where like the team puts them, whereas I've seen tons of DeSantis lawn signs. And again, we're in the most democratic state or democratic county in the state. So if you don't have Democrats here fired up and wanting to gung ho support you, you're not winning. It's just not going to happen. And the best I got when I've asked people about like this race and what their thoughts are were people saying, well, I voted for Charlie. That's not, not good. That's not good. So again, maybe this Democratic Party, one, shouldn't be run by a Republican, just a thought, and owned by Michael Bloomberg and all of these things. And maybe, maybe they should consider some form of strategy because there's no shortage of winnable seats in Florida that they didn't even put a candidate in those, in those elections. They didn't even put them in. So they sit there and throw all their money behind Charlie Crist and Val Demings. They throw all their money behind that and they completely ignore winnable state seats. 
completely. And it just really goes to like, the Democrats. They're just I, honestly, I got to tell you, and if you're a member of the Florida Democratic Party, I mean, technically I am because I'm registered as one. So if you are as well, please know there's nothing Democratic about them from the head of the party being a Republican all the way to how they do not have Democratic primaries. There is nothing Democratic about them. And I keep saying it. <laughs> Like you cannot beat the right from the center. That's not a thing that's going to happen. The only way to beat the right is from the left. To me, it's so common sense. And every single Democrat that tries to sell you that you need to be in the center, they're lying to you. They're lying to you or they're just so stupid. That is possible. Well, it's very possible. Um, We definitely uh, saw that this is this was not going to end well for many reasons. I would definitely say that just being out at the polls today, uh, it, it was a pretty good response. I mean, the it was a good non- steady stream. Yeah, the local nonpartisan races that we were helping with—that's um, where people are much less inclined to just say, "Well, yeah. are you red or you're blue?" In fact, every once in a while, you get that. And yeah, it's no, kind I got of that one weird. guy that was that was like, "Is he a Democrat?" Oh, no, forget that. Right. You know, it's like it's a nonpartisan race. His personal registration shouldn't matter to you. No, but it definitely didn't. And yes, Matt Gates won Michelle, and he won by a lot. So. <laughs> That's all you need to know. And, and any Democrat that sent any amount of money to what's his face against Marjorie Taylor Greene, we're going to get into this because yeah. the allocation of their resources is very telling as to what they're really about. How much money did they put behind some guy who has no chance to win in like a plus 27 red district? And then they sent Katie Porter $300,000 to compete against an $8 million GOP infiltration into her race. Yeah, which was patently absurd. But of course, it's not entirely surprising because in many ways, uh, you know, there are these moments where you realize what the problem is, but the people that can actually help change that problem is not actually going to get out of the way. Uh, what I what I will say and, and what I do think speaks uh, to, you know, greater emphasis on the actual problem that we're dealing with down here. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is really pissing off a lot of people. Thank you, Debbie. She's the uh, gift that keeps giving. Like a lot. Oh my God. You so know. much so <laughs> that it's it's almost- Her own people, let's yeah, say. Her own her people. Own people. Uh, well, Previously her say, people. Debbie looks out for Debbie and Debbie only. And so there are people who need to understand that. She's and so- She's not your friend. She has angered many people over the past election cycle that were her people. Yeah. So- it, it's very interesting. And she seems to back a lot of wrong horses. So thank you for that, Debbie. She's the gift that, that keeps giving. It definitely happens a lot. Um, look, she just I really, keeps building my ally pool. I really like, um, and I have, uh, you know, always liked uh, some of these candidates that, you know, mean well. Uh, obviously, Rebecca Jones, who ran oh, against yeah. Matt Gates. Oh, yeah. But Matt Gates is beating her by 35. So, you know what? It's like it's a matter of, again, Democrats do things based on their feelings. They don't do things based on reason and facts. They act based on feelings. Something hurts their feelings. It feels good. Like that's how they do stuff. They don't have any concept of strategy. Yeah. The fact that you think that she even had a chance to beat Matt Gates is sort of like a little bit of a disillusionment. Same as anybody running against what's her name? Marjorie Taylor. Dumbass. Whatever. 
Yes. Well, we're looking at the what the board. I right want to now. see Georgia and I want to see Pennsylvania. OK. Unfortunately, Herschel Walker has just taken the lead over Raphael Warnock with 48 percent reporting. Oh, people. Uh, oh, it's my 49.4 percent to 48.8 percent. Uh, they have to get to a 50% threshold in order to call it. Uh, or not go to a or runoff. Or they will go to a runoff. I still think that the best scenario for Raphael Warnock is to get to a runoff because I think uh, Brian Kemp is probably going to beat Stacey Abrams relatively easily. Well, she was up a little bit ago, but what's it now? Sherry Beasley is barely ahead by less than 7,000 votes, 6,500 Shame votes. Shame on you all. I'm glad Ted's, about that. Ted Budd. Because um, we'd be voting for Matthew Ho. Uh, nothing uh, going on in some of the other states that are in off-year elections. Uh, right J.D. now, John Fetterman is up by a lot against Memonaz, but again, 11% reporting. We all know that a lot of those votes are obviously early mail-in voting. Which tend to favor Democrats. Democrats. Election day voting, especially in a state like Pennsylvania, heavily favors Republicans. Although, again, uh, and it just, uh, no, it didn't update just now. So Fetterman up uh, 70 to 28%. Uh, it's got a few hundred thousand vote lead, but again, very early on in New York, uh, Chuck Schumer, not surprisingly, has won re-election against Joe Pinion. But the real race that is of uh, a great deal of importance there, if we can even get it up on the board here with New York, is going to be obviously the, the gubernatorial race in New York. Uh, Hochul and whoever. Yeah, running. so Hochul uh, is up on oh. Zeldin, but this is I believe this is very early in the race. I don't know. So. That's a pretty bad split. Well, as of right now, yes. Um that's a bad split. But me. then again, New Hampshire, Chris Sununu wins re-election, not a surprise, but I believe Maggie Hassan uh, for the U.S. Senate has won hers. So right or well, right now it's uh, looking like she's going to win. So it's it's still relatively early for a lot of these races. And not for really Florida. Early. No, no, definitely not for Florida. We're, we're all set here. Our good friend Max Alvarez is going to join us in a second because he had to reboot his computer. But we are going to bring in because I, I again have taken some copious notes, which should be a lot of, uh, you know, great information. Christina, great to see you guys. If you can all join us on YouTube, that would be very much appreciated. Head on over there if you can. Make uh, sure to slash Florida the like button, people get get it going. We have an extremely important Senate race that is taking place right now in the great state of Wisconsin. And who better to talk about that than our our favorite cheese head? Well, not just that, but certainly the. The, the Thomas Paine of mm. uh, progressive politics. That's very, like very like, like studious. Well, he would appreciate it, I'm sure. Yeah. Harvey K, welcome back to Generational Change. Hi. <laughs> I'm in a shitty mood now. Are you? Are oh, you? man. That, <laughs> the last time I looked, I thought Warnock might have a chance. And then from what you just said. That early. one, that one's going to be tight like that one was not and what's amazing to me is he's just so freaking stupid i honestly he's be, utterly dangerous the guy I, I I mean, it's ridiculous and he's a it's, he's a walking crime case it's horrible and i keep thinking we're gonna live in a scenario when dr oz and herschel walker are in the senate and i just it's just not well, don't say that to me i'm still holding don't do that. Harvey, no, we're Fetterman. We supported Fetterman. We actually sent money to Fetterman. I mean, I... Harvey, I think one of the best places to start right now is, you know, I, I haven't even looked at the board and, and I could probably pull it up. I'll, I'll do it right now just to see what the numbers actually are in Georgia uh, regarding a race that had no business getting the money that it ultimately ended up getting. 
but nonetheless, everyone, um, you know, which I guess what you would, I don't know why this isn't working, but every trying time, to I'm trying to get this down. Okay. Uh, so for whatever reason, and it's uh, coming as probably no surprise, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to win re-election in her race in Georgia's 14th congressional district. And she's up by 30 freaking points. And they put money. And they put millions and millions of dollars into this can't win race, even though it's a plus 27 R district. And no matter how much your emotions hate Marjorie Taylor. Oh, Green, she's hateable. I got it. Why would you be giving money to her? And why then 300 grand to Katie Porter. Katie Porter gets no money. Unbelievable. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? You're telling, seriously, I, I was unaware of this particular detail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who, who? You're telling me that the, the, the Democratic donors underwrote I'm telling you the her? party. I'm telling you the that the Democratic party. The, par- the party donors. She was, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of the, those right-wing you-know-whats. Yeah. Who received these. Well, what we're saying is, is that the Democratic Party put millions and millions of dollars behind a candidate in a plus 30-something red seat that's ludicrous, and then gave Katie Porter $300,000 after the GOP put $8 million in against her. And Katie Porter not only is the best member of Congress, but her seat is extremely keepable to her. You know, but it's like they put 300 grand to her. What about the additional money that you could have put towards Warnock and helping him, knowing that this is a razor thin race, knowing that he could easily win? You cannot underestimate. I remember when Dana Loesch, head of the NRA, you know, was questioned, like, why are you supporting Warnock when it, or, or supporting uh, Walker when it's clear that he doesn't espouse these values that you talk about? It's, like, it, it's all about winning. That's all that matters. And at least she's honest about it. Well, if that's the case and you're trying to win, then you have to know who has the best chance of winning. And the best chance is to hold the Senate seat for Raphael Warnock, who is the incumbent, who is likable, and War- and, and Walker's a complete disaster. And instead, you put millions of dollars behind a no-name candidate running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in a plus 27R. Like, to me, that's the type of stuff that comfortable liberals like to do, much like they screwed over uh, Charles Booker in Can- in Kentucky. He would have had at least a puncher's chance if they let him go against, up against, if he beat Amy against McGrath. McConnell instead of Amy McGrath. Yeah. And now he's going up against Rand Paul and he's going to lose probably by a wide margin. So, I, yeah, that, that one I think was already called earlier tonight. So the miscalculations. We never nice. thought he could beat Rand Paul. I do think he had a better chance against McConnell than he would against Rand Paul. Um, but they screwed him. Because the Democrats don't really want to win. Harvey, you know all this because you're not really a Democrat. You're a progressive. And, and, and speaking of progressives and speaking of somebody that um, I think you guys have officially become a team. I think that that's what we're going to we're going to call this the real. And, and this we wanted to bring you guys on tonight specifically because of labor and because that is the future. That really is the future of where you know, with, I have to tell you what's funny. It's funny. I, I didn't know. I didn't know Max and I were going to be on together. Oh, well, now you know. We always keep you a little bit in the dark, Harvey. We like to keep it so that you have a little <laughs> bit of a surprise when you come on every time. Yeah. Well, what's funny was because it must have been about 90 minutes ago, not even knowing it, I sent Max a note just about an idea that I had for him. And <laughs> I had no idea. I'm um, reading. And I'm sad to say that, you know, he was able to get Max to come on. I wasn't able to get the book much faster. So I'm only up to like, I'm almost done. Like I have two more chapters, but I'm, I'm, I'm working. 
Well, he is definitely one of our. Is favorites. he ready to come in, or is he going to? Oh, yeah. He's yeah. the author of "The Work of Living: Working People Talk About Their Lives and the Year the World Broke." Maximilian Alvarez is the author, and he is coming back to generational change. Welcome, my friend. Hi, hey guys. Great to see you. So, Max, I'm a geek, and I sometimes late at night go past things like C-SPAN too. And I come across something, I guess, that's a Brooklyn book festival, a Brooklyn Brooklyn book (laughs) festival. And there you are sitting on a sitting at a panel talking (laughs) about your new book, which I had no idea that you had a new book. So then, of course, I had to go and order it. And it's not on Audible people. I actually had to read. That's commitment right there. It is. <laughs> and so I hurried up and I'm like, oh my God, Max has a book. You got to get him on. You got to get him on. And then he got you on for tonight. And I'm like, not that fast. And so I wasn't able to get, I'm up, I'm, I'm in the silver mines in Idaho. I'm pretty far in. Like I'm almost there. I'm oh, just yeah. saying. But thank you so much for coming on. It's so nice for you to be here. And that I, I forgot that you guys were kind of like buddy, buddy. Oh yeah, man. Harvey and I, Harvey and I are like this. <laughs> sometimes, you sometimes we're like I, I, hope, I, I, I do I hope you meant that seriously I don't think of you anything other than as a friend my yeah, God. No. Yeah, have no. you read it Harvey I, I have not but I I, I don't want to I don't know if he wants me to say this. so Max was lamenting his a situation earlier did you see the did you see the text I sent you oh, I didn't I've been I've been running ragged all day so <laughs> okay, I sent you a text about the book but you can look at it later if you want no, and I, I haven't read it yet. I, I keep ho- I'm at the point, I'm working on this stuff, and I, I've decided the only way that I'm ever going to read anything that doesn't specifically relate to what I'm doing is if somebody puts me in a position where I have to read it or I have to read it. Well, that's what I love doing about this podcast because I feel like I it bet. forces me if I know somebody's coming because he's not going to do it. Oh, and I read. I know you read. I didn't say you didn't read, but you don't read like I read. And you don't. You don't, and so but, I was but, very. But I feel, but I am a little embarrassed not to have read it. It's just that, oh. I mean, you know, I don't know, Max. What do you think? Don't 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 be embarrassed. No one has read it. <laughs> so uh, that, no. That's what I would say. That's not true. <laughs> no, that, that can't be true. Right. I, no, because I'm almost done with it, and it's quite good. And I really like the way you wrote it in interview form. So for people who don't know, the work of living, Max's book, is a, each chapter is a different person that Max interviewed, and labor in la- this we're talking about labor and what workers went through specifically during covid i mean overall but but there was a very specific fo- focus on covid and it's really good like i'm just saying i like that you even wrote that i like that you wrote your comments because you are also very bright so it's nice to hear what you have to say <laughs> uh, i really i really do appreciate that guys i do i mean you know i'd like i i it's so cool to see the book out in the world, to see it in your hand, Jen. Like, even if we haven't met in person, to know that it's there and that we're we're able to connect across all that distance. In the same way that I'm always heartened to see, you know, your guys' faces. Like, when Harvey and I finally met in person, it was like we had known each other for years. Right. Well, we did. Um, we and did indeed. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're, we're brothers just separated by multiple generations. But, like, it's... um. <laughs> It's it's all that happened over the the internet and um you know so much of it can feel kind of locked into the internet but when you see it out in the world and when I do hear from people who have read the book or folks that I interviewed for the book you know it it genuinely means a lot I mean the 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 this is something that we've talked about on the sh- on your stream before right is um you know I, I we know going into this that 
you know, people in a culture that is so kind of thoroughly um, colonized by capitalist, you know, the capitalist culture machine, we get conditioned to to respond to certain things, to want certain things. And I know that that we're all pushing against the grain there by trying to provide different perspectives, by trying to provide long form, you know, interviews with working people about their lives and their struggles, um, their thoughts. You know, that's not something people are used to. And I've experienced it time and time again on my podcast, working people at the work we do here at The Real News. You know, it's not always going to be this like thing that gets a whole lot of traffic that goes viral, right? That that I know how to go viral, just start flinging mud at people, right? And engage in culture wars, don't engage in substance. And, you know, that's just not who I am. And so I knew going into doing this book that it was going to be a tough sell to try to kind of get people to read it. And it's with a smaller press. And yeah, I mean, you know, uh, by and large, I mean, it's barely sold anything. There's no reviews written of it. But the I'll thing that matters, review. I'll write a review for you. No, I'm like, I appreciate that. And I don't mean to say that woe is me. It's like, it's, it's about the, the, you know, the importance of the work and the importance of lifting up these people's stories and preserving those stories for future generations. Cause I think sadly, um, what the folks that I talked to in that book had to say is going to be relevant at any point when anyone picks up this book. And I'm, I'm just glad that I got to play a part in putting their voices on the record. And I really appreciate you guys supporting it. No, I love it. And look, you have a quote from Cornell West on the cover. So that's a pretty, pretty good endorsement. I would say so. It's a pretty good endorsement. So how do you guys uh, see the current, uh, well, look, before we, I don't want to leave the oh, question please. of the book. Okay, yet. okay, okay. Because though I haven't read it, you know, I just want to say that we live at a time for a start, and and Max, I, I'm serious about this. Where it, we we live in a do-it-yourself uh, moment, where unless you're, I, for example, let me give. I'll give you an example, then I'll come back exactly. So my, when my book on the fight for the four freedoms came out with Simon and Schuster of all presses. In 2014, I say of all presses because it's a giant, right? I mean, it's yeah. huge. So I kept wondering, and my editor was a, it was a very good friend of mine. We'd become friends ever since my Thomas Paine book, where he was the editor there, and then moved with him to Simon Schuster. And he basically warned me that Simon Schuster is just not going to invest in promoting what used to be called a, a mid-level book or whatever else. The point was, and, and I had the misfortune of coming out in the same season as Hillary Clinton, who probably got mil, you know, a couple of million dollars invested in publicity for, for her book, which was, you know, I don't I, I looked at it, but you know, only because I got it for free. But um, so so <laughs> one came to realize that we live at a time in which, you know, they'll you've got to promote the book period. And you've got to make use of your friends and, and maybe even your enemies, you know, if they can attack you, it, it, it makes for good press, I guess. But I was going to say that what we really need to do, Max, is uh, in venues like this and and working, and, and I know you don't want to waste any of your time on your own podcast, but it really ought to be the case that we create, you know, you just as you went to a Brooklyn book festival, which I've never been invited to, by the way, I wouldn't have even known such a thing existed except for oh, yeah, no, it's big. C-SPAN too. I yeah, forgot no, that. Big. That's hilarious that you found out about it through the C-SPAN thing. Cause I remember the guy from C-SPAN there, he was a great guy. And he was like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to run this on C-SPAN. I was like, 
Does anyone actually watch that? And then here we go. <laughs> we got Jack. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're, you're not, are you not familiar with book TV? I am. I do. But it, I, I don't I don't ever really go to watch that. I really think it's one of those things that's almost like kismet that I was meant to flip past that at the right time. And I, I was just very interested. You know, this would really make for a good like documentary almost. Well, like what, I love yeah. the idea of seeing these people. Mm-hmm. But what, what I was going to say is in the, in the more immediate, you know, because documentaries always take more time than they should. Um the fact is that we ought to be we ought to be doing like panels on other on shows like like this and others about your book. Yeah. Period. Okay. Well, Max, and, what was your favorite? Not your favorite. Which was the story of like that you found most shocking? You know, because I know you know enough that you know things are bad for working people, so that was not that big of a news to you. But like, were there any of these that stand out as like you really just blown away? Well, I mean, um, it's tough, yeah, because I feel like um, every interview, you know, was was so unique, and that's really the point of the book, right? Is like I, I caution people in the introductions, like I don't want you to see this as like, oh, here is a service worker, so you should take them as like representative of all service workers. Like yeah. everyone here is such a unique story, but I mean, I would say that. Um, you know, when I was talking with Courtney Smith, who's a, a brilliant woman, um, single mother, um, and I really wanted to interview someone in the book who considered themselves a full-time parent because we were all talking about essential labor, right? And and one thing that I really wanted to do with the book is talk to people who had been deemed by like the government to be essential, but also other people who do essential labor, even if it's not called that. Um, And so that led me to connect with Courtney. And I think I was just shocked. I think we both were. We kind of met in person for the first time a couple of weeks ago, actually. And we were both remarking on this, how like, you know, we'd only talked a few times beforehand and the conversation just got so deep and, and we revealed so many traumatic parts of our past, but also like beautiful parts of our past. We both cried at different points in the, in that interview. And I think I was just, shocked not only by, you know, the depths of the inhumanity of this kind of uh, uh, country, right? And how people like Courtney all around us are going through that on a day-to-day basis. But I was also shocked at just how close we felt, um, how willing we were to share with each other and how much our stories started to intertwine the more that we went on. Um, and, and we, I think ended up at a place that neither one of us expected, but it was because of giving that gift to each other of listening openly and sharing vulnerably that I think, you know, it's not just in this book, but, you know, we can all do that in our daily lives. If we all turn to our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our fellow parishioners, I think there's a lot of, of work that we all collectively have to do to sort of remind ourselves of how beautiful and and precious each human life is because that ultimately reminds us who and what we're fighting for. So I hope hopefully that answers the question. The other answer I was going to give is that the first chapter is with Nick, grave digger. a grave digger. Yeah. And, I, and for people who haven't read it, I would say there are a lot of like shocking uh, and beautiful and, and harrowing moments in that interview as well. It was great. The one thing that I really got from Courtney, and, and this was what I thought was very inspired to me, it was very nice for me to see that it just a regular person has now understand 
that we are entitled to more and that they keep making it about our personal responsibility. And it isn't. It's a collective problem. And I was very inspired to see that somebody not necessarily who is involved in what like what we do sees that, you know, like that was very promising to me. Well, I really, again, really appreciate that and, and wholeheartedly agree. And I guess I would say just to close the loop, because I know I know we want to talk about the elections. But, yeah. um, you know, this this is also the really exciting thing, because Harvey's um, just had the re-release of his great volume on the British Marxist historians who were writing this kind of history. Right. Who were advocating for yeah. this type of work, not not just the book that I do, but like telling history from the the ground up, like how much that changes your perspective, uh, your your understanding of your own place, your sense of agency in the world, right? If you're reading history as something that is made by regular working people like Courtney, like, like any of us, and not just sort of like, you know, uh, handed down to the masses by, you know, kingly figures or something like that, that changes your mentality. And so I would highly recommend anyone out there listening, check out my book and check out Harvey's in tandem and let us know what you think. Yeah, Harvey, talk about your book. It's being re-released. What's happening? Um, what do you got? So had I told you about this, Jen? Or I don't no? know. I'm not sure. Um, okay, so my very I first, I, I won't spend a lot of time on it because I, I too, not that I want to talk about politics, but <laughs> that's why we, we shit, I, I do not. I actually would like to completely never talk about politics again at this moment. But so my very 40 years ago, I, I wrote my first book. That sounds terrible. You guys are <laughs> 40 years ago. So 40 years ago, I wrote my first book on the British Marxist historians. There's a group of intellectuals, okay, members of the Communist Party in the 30s and 40s, right through to around 1956. They took it upon themselves as young leftists. They were going to try to write the history of Britain from the bottom up. And, okay, so probably the two most famous of the crew would be Eric Hobsbawm, perhaps one of the, the foremost historians of the 20th century. And to my mind, one, the actually greatest historian of that whole era, E.P. Thompson, who really was not merely a historian, but he was also one of the, he was actually co-founder of the European Nuclear, Nuclear Disarmament Movement. Um, these, were, these were radicals who never gave up radicalism, even after they left the Communist Party in 56. So I wrote the, a book about them that came out 1980, the winter of 84, 85, was England and the United States. It's really never been truly out of print. It went through one publisher for a while. Then in mid-90s, another publisher asked if they could pick it up. And so this past September, just a f- only weeks ago, um, it came out in a new edition. When I say new edition, it's got a memoir. It's got the prefaces of all three editions and a memoir of my time with these historians. So anyhow, if anybody goes looking for it. This is the it. British Marxist historians. historians. Very okay. cool. And um, and so anyway, that was my first book. And, and I can tell you that it really transformed my under my own understanding of history. I'd already written a Marxist dissertation. Okay. I'd already written articles of a Marxist sort, but it was, but be, that was in great part because a historian who became anything but a Marxist named Eugene Genovese, once upon a time, the great historian of American slavery, he pushed me to be reading these 
these these these gentlemen. And as a consequence, in the course of the 70s, as the new right, both in Britain and the United States, was literally, you know, on the march. Okay, and and here we are 50 years later living the shit end. Sorry, I know I'm using that word a lot tonight, but that's the way I feel the shit end of of that process. But the point is, they taught me to understand uh, that that there is no history worth talking about if we don't see it in terms of class struggle and in terms of the struggles from below by working people. And that's how history gets made. And basically, when we ignore that kind of history, we have to realize that we're suppressing, we're suppressing not simply the past, we're suppressing our own sense of possibilities in the present. So I'll leave, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I agree. So, it's so just everything I've written since, sorry, and everything I've written since in the course of the, so I trained in Latin American studies. I worked on these British intellectuals through the 80s and the early 90s. And in the 90s, because they pushed me to do American history, which I'd never done, I've now spent the last, oh God, 30 years. Is it 30 years already? 90, yeah, I guess it is 30 years doing Thomas Paine, FDR, and the American radical story and doing my damnedest to, you know, get, I'm doing my damnedest to get the impossible happen. And the impossible is to get, and I don't just mean liberal Democrats or concerned centrist Democrats. The left itself does not pay attention to his. It doesn't do anything with history. It fails to appreciate that most people remain radicals at heart. But the fact is that nobody encourages that. Nobody engages that. The politicians that we know, the Democrats, we've seen it these these last couple of years. Okay. They're more afraid. They are more afraid of their fellow citizens, it often strikes me, than they are of the Republicans who are beating the shit out of them, even as we speak. Well, I I think it's fair for us here to say that we don't have a left party here. Um, There's nothing left. I don't even know if there's a left here. Well, no, well, no, no, there is a left. It's, just, a left. Dis- it's just disorganized. It's disorganized and it's not represented in electoral politics. If the left is disorganized, it's not a left. And I don't mean it has to have discipline and event. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that the, the gap between politics at, 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 at state and national level, okay? I think at the local level, we see real activism. Yeah. Okay. But when you talk at state level and national level, the, the 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 distance from that politics to the left is vast. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Well, the Democrats aren't left, which is why I've taken I don't like using the word progressive anymore. I, I feel like that's been co-opted. And so I now just say that I'm the actual left. I'm just an actual leftist. You know, I mean, like I believe in labor. I tend to believe in communal and socialism. And like I, I'm I'm an actual leftist. But we don't have that in our politics here. No, no, it we don't. But, I, but in that vein, I do want to say something. OK, and I, I'm resorting to a tweet that not, actually I did. I don't know if I did tweet it. I've been sending this text around. And you would have gotten it, but I don't actually have your phone number, okay? Oh, I'll give you my phone number. Okay, no, no, my phone number. Yeah, so I've been sending this by text. I've been sending it by text to every one of my comrades and colleagues. Here is what I'm saying. I don't think people realize what the GOP appeal is driven by. 45 to 50 years of democratic neoliberalism and identity politics, meaning the abandonment of working people, white, black, and brown, 
Consider the fact it has not reduced popular desire for social democracy. Americans want exactly what they've always wanted. They want, even if they don't use the term and we don't hear it, they want social democracy. But what's happened over the course of all these decades of this is the Democrats have been so abysmal, they have literally intensified the hatred for them. They People hate the Democrats. Yes. I mean, I, I honestly believe the, <laughs> that all these folks who turn out to vote Republican, they, they don't, they, on the one hand, sure, every poll, every indicator says these are the things Americans want. And then they vote and people say, well, they're voting against their interests. No, they're voting for the pleasure of screwing the Democrats who have screwed them. But look, the Republicans are who they are. We, the Democrats are not who they are, not who they're supposed to be. Okay. Right. Well, there, we don't have a labor party. I mean, it's just kind of silly, right? I mean, Max, what are your thoughts on any? I mean, do you, I, I know that you probably do participate in electoral politics, but I know that that's not your focus. Correct. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, I think that, um, and I don't, I don't even particularly like the framing of, of harm reduction, right? I mean, I think that we need to understand that the struggle is, um, you know, being fought on many fronts, right? The electoral realm is one of them. The problem is that for so long, so many of us were taught and and became convinced that it was the only uh, front of the struggle for democracy, for our rights, for the advancement of um, working people and our collective interests in this country. And I think that we have seen, you know, like the fallacy of, of believing that the electoral realm is the only realm where political struggle happen and where happens and where political change can be made. I mean, that, that you know, is inevitable when you go so long without seeing the kind of change that uh, working people are demanding, even if those changes are radically popular. To Harvey's point, you could have massively popular policy decisions that uh, are just not you know, in sync with the interests of the party proper down the road in D.C. And you can only go so long with that disconnect um, kind of every election cycle before people check out from the process altogether. Um, maybe they out of desperation or out of uh, vitriol, like Harvey says, for their neighbors, for the people online that they hate, for the people on their TV that they hate. They may, you know, develop a political sense of sensibility um, through that route. But um, the point being is that uh, elections are, you know, part of what set the conditions for the rest of our political struggles. Right. I mean, like these are. You know, in, in Illinois right now, people are have been voting on whether or not to codify uh, collective bargaining rights in the state constitution, right? So, hell yeah, I think people should, you know, participate in elections. I can't, As the editor-in-chief of a nonprofit news network, I am not allowed to tell people who they should vote for right. or anything like that. But I think that when you have something like that on the ballot, it's probably important to participate in the process, but don't make that the whole thing. And, and on a couple hundred miles down the road in Tennessee, they're trying to codify right to work in their state constitution. Shocking. Uh, 
And it's just like, you know, so, so these things do matter. It's really up to every individual person to determine, you know, like the extent to which they're going to participate. But we can't pretend that they don't matter. We can't pretend that they don't shape the terrain upon which our other political struggles are being fought. But I think you are absolutely right, Jen, and hit the nail on the head that, um, you know, this was something that a lot of us were saying last year when, you know, we had uh, an uptick in strikes. Uh, in unionization uh, efforts and and petitions um, filed for unionization, you know we're still seeing a lot of that. Now the the kind of uh, inflation squeeze is is um, you know playing into that in interesting ways that I won't go into just yet. But anyway, the point was is that everyone kept pointing to the fact of how popular unions were, how much support you know uh, unions had in in the general public, which was great. But as a number of us said, and I believe it was it was Tony Gilpin, the historian who who kind of um, wrote this, is that unions don't need to be liked; they need to be feared, right? I mean, they they working people need to develop their own independent engines for expressing our interests as a class, um, you know, and our and asserting those interests and pushing them on the list of priorities in state houses and in Washington, D.C. And in order for that to happen, we have to build a critical mass of a constituency that actually has the kind of teeth that um, the labor movement used to have in this country, right, where you actually had the parties fighting over endorsements because they knew how powerful, you know, voting blocks in the labor movement were and how educated folks were on the ways that policy shaped, you know, their industries, their jobs, their pensions, so on and so forth. So we don't need a labor movement that is you know, just an extension of the Democratic Party. We don't need, uh, we need a labor movement that um, makes, you know, like uh, uh, politicians actually feel like they have to listen to this constituency and we have to fight and we have to hold people's feet to the fire. This was, if I can say one more thing and then I'll shut up. I just had a, a recorded a great interview yesterday that will run on my podcast um, hopefully next week. Uh, with a um, trade unionist and retired subway engineer in Brazil. And I talked to him about, you know, yeah. So I've talked to him about the the role um, that the labor movement uh, and the working class kind of played in um, the recent elections where uh, Lula was reelected and Bolsonaro was voted out. And so we had a great discussion about that, but he said very much the same thing. He's like, look, yeah, it's great that Lula's in. But Lula is not going to like do everything for us. And in fact, there are people in his cabinet that we're concerned about. And so we need a robust labor movement to push this government in the direction that it needs to go for us, the working class. I think that that is very much the mindset we have to have here because Biden can go out there and continuously say he is the most pro-union president in American history. And I'm granted He's been more nominally pro-union than any president in my lifetime. But at the same time, you know, I, I've been covering the, the the crisis on the nation's freight railroad system all year. I've, um, we've, I've interviewed a lot of railroad workers before and after, you know, the threat of a national rail shutdown in September. You know, one of the reasons that the rail union said we got to push this to make Biden uh, appoint a presidential emergency board to try to broker a deal between the rail unions and the rail carriers 
the thinking was, well, this is the most pro-labor president, you know, that we've ever seen. We have a Democratic Congress. Hopefully that will play into our favor. And then what happened in August, the Biden's Biden's hand selected presidential emergency board came out with its recommendations that just basically threw money at workers, didn't address any of the quality of life issues, any of the uh, uh, issues that have led the rail carriers to totally, um, you know, price gouge and destroy our, our uh, supply chain, run workers into the ground, yada, yada, yada. Now, Biden's secretary of labor, Marty Walsh, just came out and said that if the unions refuse this deal, Congress needs to step in and force them to into a contract and force them back to work. Like, I mean, this is why, again, you can't just put your faith in a party that tells you it has your best interests at heart and then just say and then accept whatever they give you. Like you need an independent working class pushing hard at every turn. How can regular people that aren't union people support as best they can in places that are, you know, struggling to either unionize or negotiate whatever they're negotiating or whatever it is. Like, what's the, what's the, like, what's the way that regular people can support that? Is there something like that? It's a great question. And I think like there are many, the good thing is there are many answers to that. Um, Because, you know, the, 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 the path to unionization is deliberately very difficult in this goddamn country, pardon my language, but like the, the, the DAC is, is stacked, is stacked so far in favor of the bosses that when I talk to, you know, workers and organizers outside of the U S they're baffled by how many hoops you have to jump through just to like get to a union election, let alone like get to a first contract. And the average time it takes to get from a a winning an election to a first contract is like a year and a half. And in that time, you can retaliate against a lot of workers like Starbucks has been doing in broad daylight, like Amazon has been doing, like Chipotle has been doing. You can intimidate people. You can make their lives worse and, and eventually demoralize them. And if you stall long enough, you can have a decertification vote and essentially throw the whole thing out. So there are so many mechanisms in place that make it so hard to actually unionize your workplace, even though we recognize that as a fundamental right that working people in this country have, a right that is routinely uh, 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 and blatantly violated by employers across the country. And then it takes months, if not years, for justice to be served. Um, you know, Just to give one example, I spoke with Brandon McNeese, brilliant worker and organizer at the, at the Chipotle uh, location in Augusta, Maine. The first um, Chipotle that was um, going to file for a union election. And on the day that that filing was going to happen, Chipotle closed the store. Now, months later, the, the National Labor Relations Board like came out and said, this was retaliation. This was wrong. Chipotle should uh, reopen the store. It should recognize the union and bargain in good faith. But that's been months. So like, again, like companies and, and you know, the, the, the bosses in this country, they can just move forward and break things willy nilly. And the, the, the consequences that they face for that are so lax that they, ve- they have very little incentive to change their behavior. So what can we do to fix that? Yeah. Well, there are a number of things. I mean, like, yes, the electoral realm is part of that, right? You can push, you know, your elected representatives to actually 
give a shit about this and to fight for it. There are numerous pieces of legislation that have been on the table, some that have died. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, the PRO Act has been there. It passed the House. It never got a vote in the Senate. But this is something that, you know, would be a game changer for labor relations in this country. And the Democrats have not made it a priority, so on and so forth. But if, you know, you wanted to advocate for that, you know, that's there for you. Um, the The thing that I would really urge people, though, is that where you can help most, there are two, two ways that I would uh, urge people to help most if this is what you care about. One you, we have to support each other. We are all we've got, right? As we've already said, like no party really has an interest in, in like being the champion of the working class or the labor movement. That has to come from us, right? And so what we need to do is to continuously support one another in our efforts to unionize, um, to speak up against discrimination or mistreatment in the workplace, um, to hold companies accountable for the ways that they exploit their workers or, or so on and so forth. So like just being there for each other, not just online, but actually like showing up and providing that support. That's how we keep this movement going. We can't just be watching it from the side and hope it keeps going. We are the movement. If it's going to keep going, it's going to happen from us keeping it going. The other thing I would say is that you don't have to be in a an official union to act like one, right? This is a, a, a great line that um, the great Rebecca Given um, at Rutgers uh, told me once on my podcast that I think is really instructive. Like, you know, there, there, are, there are actually a lot of ways that you can um, be liberated from the shackles of labor law in this country if you just stand together with your fellow workers or with your community in concerted action and, you know, like um, do something about what's going on in your in your world. Like the the one example I point to that I think is so inspiring when so few things in this country and in this world are is the Najwan Support Network in Toronto that we did a report on uh, at The Real News in the summer. So this is a group of Punjabi student um, immigrant workers in Canada who are on, a lot of them are on student visas, which means um, that they can't work enough to, you know, like maintain a good living there and send money back home because their hours are limited like 20 hours a week. So a lot of them will work under the table and uh, they, they are rife ripe for exploitation from employers who know that they can underpay them and that they can threaten their visas if they speak up. So what do they do? They have imported some of the militant tactics from the Indian farmer strikes into suburban Toronto, where they've got essentially a whole community marching on the boss. They'll hold these massive rallies of like grandmas, kids, uh, 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 neighbors marching in these massive crowds to these businesses with signs with the boss's face on them saying this guy is a wage thief. He has stolen this much money from like this number, uh, this many employees. They will go to their boss's houses and they will write in chalk outside of their driveway. This a wage thief lives here. Like take that for what you will. But the point is, is that they were in a very hyper exploitable situation and they got around that through people power, through joining together and actually standing up as a group. So there are a lot of ways that you can do something to help. But first you have to realize that it is up to you and your fellow workers and your neighbors to make that change. Not, you know, something that you have to just wait for someone else to give you permission for. And I think labor is really the only way that this is going to change because 
I was at, when we were at the polls earlier, uh, this gentleman who is with the firefighters union, um, and it's definitely a pro-labor guy, but he is a Trump DeSantis Republican through and through. And ultimately, you're going to find in labor that everyone across the political spectrum is interested in making sure that they have a living wage, health care, and, dig- and a dignified life to live. That is something that crosses all political barriers, as far as I'm concerned. And if we fight on that front, like you cannot be in labor and think that because somebody thinks something differently in terms of, let's say, their uh, their social values and whatnot, that that is a that is a, dis, uh, a disclaimer and that you can no longer work with that person. No, it doesn't work that way. We're all different in our own way. And if we're all fighting to actually have a fighting chance to have some semblance of a democracy in this country, because it's going away every day. And this election, in some ways, doesn't really mean anything. It just kind of reinforces where things are going in 24. I've been saying it for a while. Jen's been saying it for a while. If I'm putting money on the table right now, Ron DeSantis is our next president. And based on the results of tonight, that doesn't change it. It only enhances it. But what we need to be focused on, as you were alluding to, is if you think that electoral politics is how we're going to get a living wage, universal health care, a clean energy grid, and the endless wars and be able to have criminal justice reform. Those types of things can't exist through electoral politics. It's not going to happen. It happens when a movement grows so strong that elected officials are actually scared to death of people in that movement, knowing that they can sway an election. That's how it's done. And and right now... It's not looking good for, it, for that. Well, no, not at the moment. But if we're ever able to get our act together, uh, to me, that's how it's really going to happen. And so the fact that we're in a state where, best example, it's not surprising that DeSantis won. It is somewhat surprising that he's winning by this margin, but maybe not as much. Are you really going to sit next to me and say that when I called this so long ago? And we, Dude, have- I didn't say he was going to win by that wide of okay. a margin. I said it was going to be huge. I said it was going to be double digits. I told you my call was 12. My call was 12. And you thought it was going to be under 10. Well, oh, yeah. I, I, I said 210. A 10 was the point spread that he was given. We have an over-under on that, and I win. All right, so DeSantis might win this race by 20 points, which is... Un- like, Yeah, I crazy. mean, it's unheard of. It's a, it's the biggest electoral victory in the state of Florida in uh, probably two and a half decades. So it, nothing has been seen like this in almost a generation. I knew this was going to happen. But, I did. But the real rub here is that they spent so much money on ads, particularly for Demings, and to a lesser extent, Chris. They completely neglected all of these down ballot races. All of it. They almost lost a couple of congressional seats. I mean, there's 28 congressional seats in the state of Florida, and 20 of them are now red. This used to be a pretty even state for the most part in the congressional races. Now it's everyone thinks that this state got really heavily gerrymandered. No, that's not the case. It is gerrymandered, but not to the significant degree that people would say. The fact that well, our district here's a, here's a better example. They actually thought that Maria Alvira Salazar versus Annette Tadeo was going to be a close race. Maria is going to win that race over Annette Tadeo by probably 15 to 20 points. That ain't close. In fact, I knew that. that's downright despicable that it could be that bad. But what I think that really speaks to, and I would love to get your guys' thoughts on this, 
the Demo- the Florida Democratic Party, led by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, needs to go. There needs to be a complete house cleaning, but there really needs to be a house cleaning at the top within the party infrastructure. Because right now, there are a lot of people who want to make the Democratic Party, the party of FDR and JFK and LBJ, once again, a party of labor. But there are way too many people standing in the way of that right now. And there is way too much financial incentive to keep it that way. But giving up 30 electoral votes, basically conceding it every election now to the GOP, which allows the GOP to now invest in their infrastructure in Georgia and Arizona and bring them back into the fold. Whatever they thought they accomplished in 2020, which was a complete flash in the pan, is completely gone now, no matter what happens tonight. The significance of this victory, the margin of this victory, is earth shattering, as it should be. The fact that Lee Zeldin is even competitive against Kathy Hockel in New York should scare the shit out of everybody. That, to me, is the bigger issue here. The Democrats are absolutely terrible at messaging, and they're even worse when it comes to policy. I don't give a rat's ass what they're selling or what they're saying because they really have no messengers in the party. They have a president that is so unbelievably out of his element that you have to wheel out Obama again to go out there and canvas for these candidates, including Mandela, who I hope is able to beat Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. But when you really don't have what is considered some semblance of a bench of a party that's growing, Carrie Lake is going to win the governorship in Arizona, and she is immediately going to move to the front of the list in that party. That is a scary thought. It'll be a DeSantis Lake ticket. How do you stop something like that if you don't have a labor movement on the outside that is going to force the Democratic Party to concede, at least to some degree? Even if they don't concede, you've got to have a movement that is non-electoral, that is based on labor. That's well, Democrats think you beat the right from the center. That is what they think. All right, that's my rant. I'm sure it'll make for good TV. <laughs> okay, I, I, look, I'm, I, I've been... I don't, didn't even want to talk very much. And I think I've made that clear to begin with, with my mood. But I do want to say that I, I think that the task of labor has got to be inside and outside of politics. Okay. Last spring, Sarah Nelson and I joined Max in a real, it was a Real News Network production, right? And, 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 you know, we, Alan Minsky and I had come on here to talk about the Economic Bill of Rights. Um, and I think that labor really does have to itself not only do the things that we've all been talking about, they really also have to start in, they have to start offering their own vision. It, it's absolutely essential that they offer a vision because in the absence of a political party, then that means that labor is going to itself have to do the things that a political party would do. And of course, we're not helped by the fact that the labor leadership of the AFL-CIO does not care. They're, they're, as e- they're, they're, they're equally establishment these days, okay? And, you know, but what I want to say in particular is this in response to what you're saying, and that is that when the, until the Democrats actually point a finger in the direction Bernie was pointing at capital, the Democrats will never recover. 
They have got to start pointing a finger. I mean, I, I'm going to base this on, on, on the FDR story. FDR tried at the outset. He was very keen, by the way, to read. He was very keen to redistribute power and wealth. People utterly underestimate the degree to which he had, was very clear about that. But what really turned him from being a progressive into truly, and I mean this sincerely, a radical president was the fact that capital turned on him. Okay. And he then really went after them. Okay. He actually said it's time to overthrow their power. And until the Democrats start talking about doing just that, I don't know how they can possibly hope to turn this tide. Because what the, look, in the absence of having done that for 40 to 50 years, what the Republicans did is they, they basically turned they basically turned every single problem in America into a problem that had something to do with some race. Okay? Whether it was Mexican Americans coming in from the sorry, Mexicans coming in from the south or blacks in the city, whatever it was, they turned it into a racial question. And now, now and now it's so virulent, okay, that even the, the even anti-Semitism which we had which was presumed to be a marginal set of ideas in American life is now somehow bandied about in the mainstream. Okay. And, the, and that's first. The second thing is, is that the Democrats just, they, they just ignored what had, what was accomplished in the thirties in this respect. Americans were so divided along race and ethnic and religious lines in the thirties. But what enabled a generation for all of their faults and failings to get it together is they were pushed because of the crisis, to work together inside of things like the CCC and other works projects. And if the Democrats ever, if, if we ever win over the centrists and the corporate Democrats and actually have a party uh, that's that's a, at least a labor-oriented party, we've got to figure out how to create experiences in which people literally are taken out of their limited understandings and compelled to work with other people to build the nation. This is it, The remedies are all there. The Democrats just don't want to do it because they're all making too much money and enjoying too much power with the status quo. Do you, you know, like these DC consultants, right. Who, who basically run so many of these campaigns, yeah. man, they're already looking forward to 2024. OK, they fit because there isn't a single politician who's not going to call D.C. And, and hope for some some kind of D.C. consultant to come out and tell them what to do. No, they love that. And it's extremely profitable. And I think that's a lot of reason what drives their their strategy as to who they support and what they do is based on how big that money train can be and how many people can feed at that trough. And they'll keep those things going. I, I do think that that is one of the things. But the Democrats are owned by the same people. So like my my thought is they're not meant to actually be a real resistance anymore. They're meant to be a Mick resistance. It's like the WWF. Um, I think at the end of the day, people like Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi are all friends and they laugh at us. Like I don't I don't it's like a game to them. So it doesn't matter to them who's in charge. Like people like Nancy Pelosi don't care who's president. It doesn't matter to her. She just gets to pretend to be the resistance and she keeps getting reelected and insider trading. And it's just like it's a game. 
And I think you brought up a really great point, Harvey, which I want you both to dissect. You know, one of the issues that we've talked about constantly is just how devastatingly bad the consultant industrial complex really is in politics, especially on the Democratic side. The big difference between the Democrats and Republicans is you can be a consultant in the Republican Party, but you need to actually win races. Whereas in the Democratic Party, you could be a 10 time loser and they'll still hire you. And I know some of them who got hired and they get paid pretty well. And so when all of this money is going into a race, you are also recognizing just how bad they are. One of the reasons I really, really want Fetterman to win is because one of the biggest swamp dwellers in all of D.C. is Scott Dworkin. Yeah, you you heard me, Scott, if you're out there listening, Uh, you know, who's the head of the Democratic coalition or Occupy Democrats, whatever the hell these organizations are. And it was brought to our attention, thanks to the Fetterman campaign just a couple of weeks ago, that 80 percent of the money that these organizations, these nonprofit Democratic coalition organizations brought in that were supposedly going to go to candidates to help them win races, 80 percent of the money went to pay consultants. So to me, that is a huge problem. It's not being addressed and it needs to be addressed going forward if we're going to have any hope of electing good non-corporate representatives into office. Even ones who I think are well-intentioned also get scared because I think the consultant class also threatens the hell out of these campaigns. Well, if you don't pay us, if you don't hire us, we're going to go work with another person or, dare I say, we're going to go help the candidate in the other party. Can we talk about how much money was spent on the Pennsylvania Senate race? It's like a quarter of a billion dollars Yeah, was spent on the Pennsylvania Senate race, right? Like, that is not... That's not good. Do we have which one are we talking about first? What did you do Georgia? The Pennsylvania. No. Oh, you want to do Pennsylvania? No, I was just talking about the consultant class. Oh, okay. So which one are we going to do first? Guys, take it away. What do you want to? Where do you want to? Well, let me just say that. I do you have in front of you because I only have like very early, very very early returns on Wisconsin. You got anything? Mandela is up on Ron Johnson, uh, fifty-one to forty-nine with oh, that, that, forty-one that, percent report. That's that's scary. How, what's the percentage of the count? It's it's still low. I think the yeah we're still like at a low percent. It all depends on if the vote counts coming in out of Milwaukee. It says forty-one percent, forty-one percent reporting. The only thing that doesn't look good right now is Alclara is going uh, red, and that doesn't. Yeah, Oshkosh and Alclara red. Kenosha is a mix. Milwaukee obviously is blue. Madison's blue. The surrounding three or four counties are blue and Green Bay is blue. Uh, again, I, I That's agree. just Harvey. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> that's just, <laughs> I, as often as I, could. I don't know what. <laughs> as far as Pennsylvania, let me see. As far as, uh, as, far as Pennsylvania goes. Let's, let's take the, let's see a current look, guys. We're going to do a current look at Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania right now uh, still st- uh, it's it's closed the gap. Thirty six percent reporting. Fetterman is up fifty one to forty six. Uh, the Libertarian candidate Eric Gerhard has got one point three percent of the vote. Uh, those votes matter. Uh, you know, the Libertarian candidate oftentimes is one that normally would go to the GOP. So yeah, you, know, you right. never know usually you know, how it's going to break. Uh, but yeah. Uh, this is this is just one of those nights where some races are going to go well, maybe some surprising, and most probably not surprising. It already looks like for for sure that the GOP is going to take the house with the way that right. things obviously unfolded in the state of Florida. That can't possibly be surprising. Uh, but I would like to know what your guys' thoughts are regarding. Well, first of all, I just want, I, since I just go back for a moment. 
I um I think you're right about DeSantis, 2024. Okay, I've been saying all along Trump will not be the will not end up the candidate. No. After this, after the way that DeSantis won tonight, now people are really going to start moving over to his. No, side. Trump. I I yeah. Yeah. Because they see Trump. The one thing about the GOP, even though he, you know, Trump is beloved by the base, he's <clears throat> he's a liability, and they know it. And the only thing that matters at the end of the day for the GOP is winning. winning. Now, yeah. would that would it shock me if Trump goes completely nuclear and decides to run as an independent? No, actually, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I actually think he may do that. So, any in the political world we're living in today, I don't take anything off the table. I think anything's possible. But one thing I think we can well, I'd like to encourage that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think we should encourage that possibility. I've given a lot of thought to what I'm going to do in 24. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, you're going to want to tune in on the 15th. It's going to be a really incredible evening. Ron DeSantis, who is a total ingrate and doesn't realize I made him the governor of the great state of Florida. On the 15th, you're all going to find out exactly what I'm all about. We're going to make a big, beautiful announcement. I may run again. I may run as an independent. I haven't decided yet, but it's going to be really great. And you're not going to want to miss it. You're all terrible people. You're all Democrats. I don't like you. You're not voting for me. But we are going to make America great again. Again. In 24. Again. Believe me. Believe me. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, the one thing I would say is, like, I. it depends on what day of the week you ask me this question. Because I go back and forth. Uh, half the time, I'm, I'm totally with what you guys are saying. Uh, other times, it's like... I just have this sinking feeling that um, that the the base responds so uh, enthusiastically to Trump, um, and I think the the, the party's not going to get in the way of that um, because they've shown like how foolish they look uh, when they try to, um, and so I guess it, it remains to be seen. For me, uh, I still feel like Trump. If if he and DeSantis are going toe to toe, I think that Trump will still win um, because he's just, you know, because of that unpredictability and because of that. Well, you guys both, but you guys both agree that Trump and DeSantis will run in a primary. There will be a primary between the two of them. I think, on, oh yeah, without yeah. question, unless somehow to. Trump gets like legally barred from running for whatever reason. Well, or is, I don't know. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff. Personally, going on. I think they would love to see Trump versus DeSantis in the GOP primary because it will be a ratings bonanza and you normally don't get that in a primary. They will mm -hmm. be talking about those yeah. two going head to head all day, every day on both sides. It will create, and all corporate media cares about is ratings. So they know if those two are going at it head to head, yeah. they're going to do it. A little caveat that a lot of people don't know. DeSantis raised $200 million for this race. He has a hundred million already set aside for what he's going to do next. I don't think he's just going to sit around on that money. He's going to spend it, and a hundred million already to run for president is a pretty, pretty good start. Correct. Well, and like just a, a follow up on that real quick because um, we, uh, I think y'all were mentioning this earlier. I would highly, uh, you know, advise people to take a look at that, um, you know, major report that Open Secrets released um, last week, showing just the the staggering amount of money that has been dumped into these midterm elections. So 
Um, let's see. The five most expensive Senate races of 2020 alone have seen nearly $1.3 billion in spending across the primary and general elections. But if you look at these open secrets um, cases, you'll see the total spent total the candidates spent and all of the hundreds and thousands of dollars that are spent in each race from outside spending. So I just like really wanted to highlight what, what Jim was pointing out is that like another, another, I know we've said it on the left many times, many ways, but it does bear repeating, you know, depending because the pundit class, they take the results of these elections um, very uncritically they project a sort of vision of the country based on the results without much nuance thinking about the people who didn't vote, the people who were barred from voting, you know, like there's a lot of nuance that's left. It's really just like whoever wins, this is the direction the country's going in. But just like the media is able to do, like you guys just pointed out, like, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make, right, is the capitalist media in this country is such a force to be reckoned with and is so vital to shaping the sort of mirage of a reality that so many political candidates need people to believe in uh, in order to win their races, in order to maintain their power. The one example that has been kind of circulating a lot over the past week is like it is staggering how little crime rates have actually gone up across the country and how much the media has relentlessly covered a crime wave, you know, in the past year, like the two are so far apart, but that's like something that if you talk to voters, like the impression of the rise in crime, the impression that, you know, like city everywhere is under siege, like that is very, very real. And I do think there was sort of like a forced um, evolution that a lot of us went through with COVID where we were sort of forced to absorb more of our reality through screens, whether those be our smartphones, our computers, or our televisions, either because, you know, folks had to stay home or they were able to work from home or for any number of reasons. I do think that there was a sort of, um, just like the, the pandemic ended up being a boon to like Amazon's business model because everyone, more people are staying home, they're ordering from home, yada, yada, yada. It was a boon to places like Fox News and you know all types of media operations because that's where people were largely learning about what was going on in the outside world. And I think that like the kind of psychotic view that um, places like Fox News have been painting, like if you are able to really kind of um, blast that into people's brains relentlessly for years on end and people are more trapped, more afraid of the the world beyond their, their door, like that's going to have a really outsized influence. So the point that I'm trying to make, a messy one at that, is like just like the um, kind of, you know, profit-seeking incentives that, as you mentioned, um, drive so much of the way mainstream media covers what it covers, how it covers it, what it doesn't cover, the sensationalism, right, the fear-mongering, the, the, the twisting of statistics to make people feel scared all the goddamn time, right? Like, that is like what, that is the impact that money has on people, on institutions. And a lot of that money has been flowing into these uh, uh, elections to the point that like more so than, than, than ever before. So it is part of this sort of reality fabricating process that, um, you know, is being led by the ruling 
class. And so like, this is another, I guess is another way of saying that like electoral politics can't be the end all be all of everything because so much of our electoral political uh, system has been totally taken over by the shadowy, you know, ruling class and the, the interests of the business class. And there's only so much change that can come when you have a system that is so thoroughly in the clutches of those ruling class interests. And that ultimately is the bottom line. You know, we can, again, everyone is so caught up in the red versus blue divide and the way the numbers are coming in right now. Uh, it looks like J.D. Vance is going to win the Senate race in oh, Ohio. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> uh, Holy shit. I knew that. I called um, that when we were in when we were in Cleveland um, canvassing for me. Harvey, Tim has no personality, and yeah. that probably no, no. I mean, it's not like I'm a big fan of Tim Ryan. No, no, no. no. Oh, and, and, and you know, Tim Ryan, as we pointed out many times, he's actually good on labor. Yeah, like, he's one guy who's actually saying the right things, but he comes off as just so dry and I just fight anybody. And well, we were on the ground there. I didn't see like there weren't signs for him. It's like it just I just got that vibe. I knew Jim. did oppose the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. Is that true? I I don't recall. I, I could be wrong about I that. Know. I don't want to say one way or the other. Um, we but, have no real horse in that race. I just noticed when we were on the ground there Ohio, that that was how it seemed to me. The fact that Ohio has changed so dramatically in a in less than a decade in terms of how. You know, when Obama won in 2012, he won Ohio by, I think, eight points. And you fast forward to 2016 and Trump wins it by eight points. And then he does it again in 2020. And now you've got J.D. Vance who may win it by eight. If that doesn't scream that the Democratic Party has been completely co-opted by corporate power, I don't know what does, because Ohio is one of those working class states that really is emblematic of the whole country. Yeah. Ohio has a little. <laughs> yeah. Bit of yeah. Look, here in Wisconsin, Obama won Wisconsin. Right. And then. Of course, look, I mean, Bernie would have would have it, history would have been utterly different. OK, but it, it's the case that. It's the case that the NAFTA story yes. which is so closely tied to the Democrats, really tied to the Democrats. People assume, people assume because the, the chattering classes forgot NAFTA, they, you know, it's a done deal. Didn't mean that working people forgot it. Okay. And Max has heard me say this before. I mean, why, if things happen in the 90s, do we assume that people forget why it is that their jobs are, are no longer there? Okay. Why would we assume that they could forget that? Okay. So when, when now Mandela Barnes runs, okay, it's, it, and if, if he doesn't win, I, actually, I'm getting these texts that tell me that it's not, a, it, he may actually pull through and Evers, our governor, incumbent governor may pull through. But nevertheless, they should both have been runaway victories for right. these guys. They're, they're dealing with utter, utter crap in Ron Johnson and utter crap in this guy, Michaels. Okay. I mean, and I don't just say that because I, I wouldn't want to have a beer with either one of them. I'm telling you that Johnson is an idiot. And Michaels is basically a Neanderthal. Okay. 
And they should have been able to just walk away with it. But why is it? Why do they not? Why are they not able to? Because Wisconsinites literally got screwed by the Democrats. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to take it's going to take something dramatic to make that kind of transformation take place in Wisconsin. I mean, it may well be that it's going to be the abortion question that brought out a lot of women yeah. and a lot of young people to vote, which may save the asses of the Dem- may save the asses of the Democrats in this state. Well, I said that any amount of points that Charlie Chris did get was the result of the Roe v. Wade. There, we even have these signs all over that are these pink signs that are being put out by the party that say for choice for Christ. And it's like, that's all they have. And that's what they've been leaning into. And the marketing was just so poor. Yeah. Well, you can, I, and, I'm, and nothing I just said is to imply they should have just run on the abortion question. No. My no. Point, okay. My point is that, that I got a text from somebody else, a, a woman, I don't know where she lives, but she said when she was out at the polls, she was interested in seeing what kinds of agreements were taking place between oppositional voters. And it was always on economic issues, always on economic issues. My state assemblywoman was out because she's in a relatively safe district. She was out canvassing in other districts for other candidates. And she said she would go to the door. And when she talked about the rights of workers and the the imperative of raising wages and bringing it into um, right to work in the state, whether the person was a Republican or a Democrat, they generally agreed with it. Okay. But are the Democrats running on a good political economic kind of basis? Are they pointing fingers, as I said before, at the corporate elite? No, they're no, not they doing point that. fingers at the Republicans. They blame them for everything. That's what they do. We do have a bit of, uh, we have good news and bad news to report. You want the bad or the good first? Which one do you guys want? I want the bad first. Brian Kemp is going to defeat Stacey Abrams for governor uh, re-election in Georgia. Yeah, that, that one, I have to admit, I didn't, I can't say I called it, but I just, I knew, I knew everybody was assuming yeah, I, I knew this. Was well, a very, well, a very good one did come through. Thankfully. What was that? And that is Josh Shapiro has won election for governor of the state of Pennsylvania. So that obviously will bode very well. Uh, Mr. Mastriano, go kick rocks. You really are a scumbag. <laughs> when you say go kick rocks, you really it's like are. something my grandmother would say. Yeah. Well, I got a report a little while ago, 40, that with 40, here, here's what it said. Hold on. Uh, now, that obviously will bode well for Fetterman, but there's no guarantees. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think what? Um, Evers is overperforming expectations. That's just mean. Barnes, that's our gov- incumbent governor. Yeah, Tony's Wait, no, doing well. I, now I can't tell if they're talking about inside a county or not. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting so many different texts here about this. Anyhow, John Shelton, who you all know, my friend, young friend, says Evers is looking solid. And Mandela actually is in the lead with 40%. And that was about half hour, no, 20 minutes ago. So I'm sorry. It, it matters to me. I'll tell you why. All of this matters to me. In some ways, more. I expected the worst at the national level. I was, I don't pray, but I was in essence praying that we could survive in this state without handing the entire game over to the Republicans. And the question will be whether or not the state legislature gets a supermajority to override the vetoes of Evers. That's the key. 
And it shouldn't even be coming down to that. And if the Democrats had a plan, a platform, right. or stood for anything, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Well, it would be absolutely. a Yeah, absolutely. And Georgia Peach, that's just mean. Oh, who cares? I, it's not that I care. It's just mean. Why would somebody come on here and be mean to me for no reason? Well, and by the way, something else that I, I want to add to what, what uh, we were talking about before in terms of how can you support labor? The question also is how can labor support itself? Okay. Okay. And I think labor could do a variety of things. For example, I think I think unionists should literally decide they're going to take over local democratic parties. It's not okay. a bad plan. That's it's so brilliant. easy to do at the local level. It would it be like here. There's a lot of people that ultimately do not, um, you know, get involved. Uh, there is no way to actually get them uh, to kind of see the difference because the GOP builds a, a bottom up approach when it comes to political infrastructure. The yeah, they read the British Marxist historians and figured they got to do this from the bottom up. <laughs> That's a very no, yeah, no. Seriously, mistake. listen to these guys often. It's as if they've read everything from Marx to Lenin half the time. They, they, yeah. You know, they, and they they've learned about how how you pursue power. Whereas the Democrats have been reading, they don't read really movies. I just think they're not reading. But they but can't read a, a room. But when you I do, can tell you that that's for sure. Well, when you do a top down approach, what do you expect? It right. is going to, and and again, it's still a little too early to really tell how the night's going to end. Uh, but I do think, in the cases of Shapiro and Evers, that if you do have two solid gubernatorial candidates that are running, one is running for re-election, one is running to be governor, has just become governor. I think that that bodes a lot better for somebody like Fetterman and for somebody like Barnes. Will it hold? I don't know. No, statistically speaking, when the governor goes for a certain party, the Senate races generally will go to that party. That happens more often than not. That's statistically accurate. Or maybe that's just more so with the GOP because their consistency of always voting uh, strict party line uh, when it comes to elections like this. Because what may be even more surprising is not so much that DeSantis beat Chris by basically, a, well, no, it is a landslide. Let's be honest. It is a landslide. Uh, Marco Rubio beat Val Demings by a landslide. Like, that's surprising. Yeah, that's, that I find surprising. I didn't. She tried to go to the right of him. She went oh, to the right kidding. of him on law enforcement. I'm too far away to know this stuff. Okay, so first of all, Val Demings was the first, um, I believe, female or and or black female police chief in Orlando. And kudos to her, okay? But she was really leaning very heavy into law enforcement. And she was calling, referring to herself as chief, just, you know, as her title and her logo for her campaign is a police badge shape. And it's like, if you're running as the Democrat and you're running to the right of Rubio on law enforcement, it's not going to, people. It doesn't even, it doesn't even effing matter in a Senate. Why, why do they do these things in a Senate race? Because they're, they're playing to who they think they need to play to. I also think it has a lot to do with how your campaigns are funded and what, once you get that money, they're going to tell you how to use that money. That's also the big issue with the consultant class is this idea of- Run, run from the Black Lives Matter and defunding kinds of questions by by emphasizing you were a police chief. Is that, yeah. that's it? That's exactly. what I'm saying. She did. She really leaned into her law enforcement background. And I'm not saying she should have been embarrassed of it. I mean, she was the, the chief. I mean, but that is she her. she did specifically make television ads saying, defund the police? That's just crazy. It's like, 
why even you don't even need to go why there. Wait, right why, why waste your well why look Barnes made a lot of mistakes along the way the, at the outset because he let the DC consultants tell him how to run a campaign Shocking. okay I mean you know uh, can I sorry we're all over the place but I was listening to so many things before and so many thoughts occurred to me go when he launched his campaign his opening video was his he was running along the lakeshore in Milwaukee well who are you appealing to if you've got time during the day to run along the lakeshore in Milwaukee, you're not appealing to the upper portion of the state. That's for sure. Okay. Well, you're not, and nor are you appealing to working class people in the greater Milwaukee area. Correct. Okay. Then this was, a, and I'm going to give John Shelton credit for noting this. Okay. John said to me, you know, the ad in which Barnes has gone shopping and he comes home to the kitchen and he's pulling stuff out of the shopping bag. He's doing it on an, on an island in the yeah. kitchen. Right. Okay. <laughs> That tells you that's a that's a sense of who's what kind of home you're talking yeah. about. Right. I mean, now under now I now believe me, it's the mess that that's just the beginning. Then when when Johnson's campaign shifted gears instead of attacking the Democrat in this finally um, Barnes in particular on the inflation stuff, this would be one more vote with Biden and the Democrats. Right. And, you know, he they he was he, they shifted to the crime question because. There was enough. There were enough remarks by Barnes that they could turn it into a defund the police question. So when Barnes replied in ads, he would start off by trying to disavow. Well, don't waste your time because if you're going to disavow, you're calling attention to what you've been accused of. <laughs> Go for the economic questions. Ignore. Don't let them set the the the, the table. Set the agenda. I mean. And by the way, and if it's the D.C. consultants doing this, then it means they're probably not only making a lot of money from the Democrats, they're getting money in the back pocket from the Republicans to do it. That is, you know what, Harvey, that is a great transition. And one thing that we have to talk about that is a very serious issue that people want to pretend didn't actually happen. The Democratic establishment was heavily funding these MAGA Republican candidates to get their nomination including somebody like a J.B. Vance, who now is going to go to the U.S. Senate. The same is true for a number of these other guys who, uh, you know, again, will know when the night is over. I yeah. mean, hell, he probably will win anyway. But J.B. Pritzker was doing the same thing for his Republican, his own Republican candidate in Illinois. Just, you know, just below you, Harvey, they were doing that exact thing. And. At some point, you, you really have to ask yourself if you're a Democratic voter, just a neutral observer and seeing this type of behavior and thinking, wow, why would they want to have a MAGA Republican as their opponent? Because they don't actually want to do anything for you because their corporate money does not allow them to do so. So their attitude is, well, we'll put the scariest possible candidate up and that'll just force people to vote for us. And we see that even now, although it's not working like it used to. The Pied Piper strategy has not been working for him. Well, we saw right. you know, we're not going to do anything for you. But do you really want this crazy person? <laughs> well, I just want to live. I want to be able to survive. And I know you don't think I'm going to get it with this guy. So why the hell would I vote for you? Speaking of crazy people, can we maybe check to our local school board race just just quickly while you're while you're in there and digging around? We have a crazy person running for our school board down yeah, there. So I would just when find. you say crazy people, I need to know. Why do you, while, while, while you guys are looking for that, I can give folks um, an update. 
So it looks like, um, yeah, Bennett won in Colorado um, for the Senate. Um, Kelly in Arizona is up by 15 points with 41% reporting. Fetterman is still... That's still way too early in Arizona. There's a number of counties that haven't even started counting yet. Yeah, so this is like um, Fetterman's still holding a five-point lead with 53% um, reporting. Um, Hobbs uh, for the governorship in Arizona is up by 10, but only 39% reporting. So, yeah, I think like, you know, a lot of this is still very, very early, but uh maryland did uh legalize weed so way to go way to go go, us (laughs) recreational you mean yeah nice Mm -hmm. nice i'll and that that also brought me back to something else i want to remind us of and that is that two states in referendums in these last several years have shown right that even in red states you can get a $15 an hour minimum wage passed and you can block the, the de- you know, taking the abortion rights away from women as in Kansas. So the point is if the Democrats were serious, they would take seriously the possibility of going left or progressive, or I don't even care what we want to call it. Right. You'd think they would f- take, get the message. Well, and like, yeah. and speaking of the message, like, I just because um, I gotta, um, I, know I gotta head out soon. But like, one thing that I would say that that really under you know scores everything that we've been talking about here, right? Is um, Uh-oh. you know, I I uh, released a, an episode of my show, Working People, over the weekend, where I got to interview uh, Unite Here union members in uh, battleground states like. Nevada, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. And Unite Here, you know, is has really, you know, been been doing a Herculean effort to get out the vote. Um, you know, they they they're the service and hospitality union. They suffered the most uh, layoffs and furloughs out of any union when COVID hit. Obviously, people aren't going to hotels at that time. Uh, and they showed up in record numbers. Um, Harold Meyerson for the the American Prospect said that Unite Here canvas more precincts in 2020 than any other organization on the Democratic side. And um, I, I spoke with folks uh, in these states who are cam- who have been canvassing, um, you know, nonstop. Um, and I think it was really important to listen to them, even if, you know, you, you know, you don't uh, like the Democrats or, or anything like that. It's important to listen to the people who are going door to door uh, and especially if they're, you know, union members, working people who are going and trying to connect with their neighbors and stuff. I think that what they, you know, uh, are reporting back is very instructive. But what they've said kind of unanimously <clears throat> is the thing that people are most concerned about most consistently is the cost of living is, you know, like the struggle to survive and and get by at a time when, um, you know, the inflation has been hurting people. But what we call inflation is in many ways just corporate price gouging and and uh, price gouging by landlords and so on and so forth, while so many corporations are raking in record profits. So, like, people know that they're being screwed over. They know that it's that things are more expensive, that their rent has gone up four, five hundred 
dollars um, while the minimum wage, federal minimum wage, you know, has gone the longest period in American history without being raised. Right. Like that's not to say that, you know, we we can comfortably ignore all the other issues that people care about. If you live in an area like I do in Baltimore, where there is a lot of gun crime, of course, that's going to play on your mind. But I think also people in a city like Baltimore that has been besieged by uh, a, a police department that gets all the money it wants and that has largely been able to kind of act as a, an occupying force in a majority black city for, for many years, if not decades, right? People don't necessarily think that more cops are the solution to this, but they don't see anyone offering a better solution, right? They, they just see more of yeah. our neighbors getting locked up while we are struggling to pay rent. That shouldn't be a hard political like target to hit if you are the Democrats or I, I don't care who you are, but like it's there. People are dying for like real substantive change that like affects their lives and makes it easier to live in a, you know, society that seems to be kind of fraying at the seams, but we can't even you know, cross that bar. Max, you, you brought up a great point, And that is, if you're going to me, when it comes to dealing with policing in the United States, there is a silver bullet issue. You have uh, qualified immunity. That is the issue. If you were to take, there's also the issue of where uh, police police a specific area. One of the things that we've noticed here in South Florida is that you have people that let's say live, I remember canvassing in Sunrise, and they were cops down in Miami. You're talking about what could be an hour away drive or even more. That to me also speaks a lot about having connections with the community. But if you were to eliminate qualified immunity and put the financial burden on the actual police instead of the taxpayers of the given area where the police mess up, the police will police the police. They will do it in-house. Because the one thing they're not going to do is risk their pension for some scumbag who's in their precinct. And they know who they are. Cops know who the dirty cops and the bad cops are. They know who they are. I think it's a, just a systemic problem and it's just an inherent in their culture and that the people that apply for jobs um, are those kinds of people because we militarize them and they want to go out in riot gear and that's what they want to do. So I think we have some very bad news now. We have some very bad news. You want to go? Uh, it's not looking good for Warnock in uh, Georgia. Um, I cannot believe Herschel Walker is going to be a senator. Uh, it's, it's not. That has to be the most unbelievable event of the night. It's just. It's. It's, Warnock ri- leads, it's ridiculous. Warnock leads by a point. He leads by over thirty thousand. No, votes, Walker which, leads. What Walker leads uh, with seventy-one percent reporting. But the question now becomes how many outstanding votes are left to count in the Atlanta metro area? If there is not a lot, then that is not good. And the fact that it's this close, I think, also speaks to, again, what happens when the gubernatorial candidate ends up winning by a very comfortable margin, which doesn't allow. I mean, split tickets are possible. They do happen, but they don't happen that often. And in this case, when the margin is so significant as it was for Shapiro over Mastriano, that only helps Fetterman. And the fact that Kemp is probably going to beat Stacey Abrams by double digits is not- Double digits? Yeah. He's up by nine points right now. So that reality sets in that when you are not 
espousing, and and a lot of people were critical of this. Oh, and another one, uh, no, but no real surprise here. Greg Abbott wins, has won re-election against Beto O'Rourke in Texas. I'm so shocked. So that's he threatened nice. to take their guns, and he couldn't win Texas. Shocking. If you don't actually espouse a economic Idiot. populist message without taking the corporate money, it's that simple. Well, but, you just don't threaten to take people's guns in Texas and expect to win a statewide race. That's, that's fair. ridiculous. No, I definitely agree with that. But at the same time, when you're looking at Georgia, for example, a lot of people were critical of Stacey Abrams for not really having an economic message. Well, hello. What, what do you expect? Us, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have to say, I'm, when I'm, I met her some years ago. And I and we had a conversation and I and I just I was in Atlanta doing television, actually. And I and I went to a union gathering that she was speaking at and she and I had planned on meeting afterward. We did briefly. And it struck me that she's very careful on the economic. Yes, I I, I, she's not an economic populist. No, she took money from Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, she's definitely not. That's not. Somebody who's fighting for regular people. That's yeah. just the, those two things are mutually exclusive. I, it's just is crazy. And at, at local level, we have two good newses and, and one not so good news. So the two candidates that Peter and I have been out canvassing for both won their races. We now have a new mayor in plantation. Yay, Nick Stortle. Um, Bye bye, Lynn Stoner. Bye bye. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And also kudos to our friend Rod Velez for school board. And that's also a really big win for us here. So that was good. And unfortunately, our school board district that I live in went to a crazy person. (laughs) And I say that we're talking full on election denier calling that the trans community is trying to transform our children in schools and calling out that like one of those people just now got elected to our school board. I happen to have liked the gentleman who was running Stephen Julian. Yes. One thing I will say to him and I will say to anybody else in this county, uh, attaching Debbie Wasserman Schultz to your campaign is not a winning strategy. No. She no longer holds any type of real political clout. It's just a question of when she gets knocked out, proverbially, of course. Uh, Figuratively. Anything that she attaches herself to is always going to leave a proverbial shit stain on your campaign, and it's only going to get worse. I am not going to say which campaign it was, but I can tell you that she took a political bribe of a significant amount of money to hand out an endorsement at the 11 o'clock hour to basically bury a candidate who may or may not have suffered a fate of being removed from office after the fact. Debbie Wasserman Schultz (laughs) is the embodiment of everything that is wrong with our political system. People here know it, but yeah, guys, and and Stephen, I very much liked meeting him. He was a very nice guy, and I am sad that he lost, and I did vote for him, and he lost to a crazy person. But when you send out mailers that have my endorsement from Debbie Wasserman Schultz attached to it- With her picture. It has the opposite effect of what you're intending. The only people who will vote for her are people that you don't need to convince. But what you will suffer from is that when someone does see that picture of Debbie endorsing you, that is not somebody who is automatically in that sycophantic camp. Their attitude is, well, I may have voted for you, but you have Debbie behind you. I'm voting in the other direction. If the person he was running at wasn't a lunatic, that would have happened to me because I saw her with him. Now, it turns out he's a nice guy. He actually would be good in that position. So hopefully he'll run again. And hopefully the crazy this the woman that just won is like a a book banner. 
She's a book banner. Her She's is, one of those. Her name is Brenda Pham. It's not good people. She is definitely of the extreme side of politics. Yeah. But the fact that Broward County, which used to be like a plus 30, plus at least plus 30 uh, blue, is now becoming competitive. And that is all due to the Democrats. This, they isn't, suck the, this isn't the Republicans. Nope. They didn't. The, the Republicans they have blame done them. well, but again, if you're if you're delivering, then this wouldn't be happening, and that's why wholesale changes need to happen within the party. But there really needs to be that labor movement on the outside. It's got to be a combination of the two, but I really think that that's uh, that really says a lot. I, I really believe that, and and uh, that that's a good one. That's a good one. So answer. we've got okay. That, Overall, though, I will we'll say go over that our in locals terms of, in yeah, we'll bit. go over our locals when you guys go. And, and I will definitely say that it is good news on the local side in terms of the nonpartisan races, which, again, nonpartisan is where I think a lot of people want to be involved. They really don't like this hyperpartisan divide. I don't care where anybody is. I'm sure you guys would agree. I think that's, yeah, really a great point to make um, and for for you know, kind of round, round out this, this segment on, um, because I see that as well. And I hear it, uh, every day, every week that I'm kind of talking to working people around this country. It takes a lot of negative energy. It really saps your soul to constantly live in a state of fear and animosity towards your fellow workers, your neighbors, the people who live across the street from you, the people whose kids go to the same school as you. Yeah. Like they, they, I, I, I see that wearing on people, right? I see it physically wearing on people, emotionally, psychologically wearing on people to be so afraid and to be so angry. Um, you know, I think that that anger, as we've all acknowledged, like is uh, there are a lot of very legitimate and uh, and righteous sources for our anger. And I think that, you know, you can tell who has your best interests in heart, um, depending on like where they're trying to channel that energy. Right. And I think that, you know, they're there. This is where there is some marginal difference between the the two, you know, parties in this country is that essentially they strategically tried to direct people's anger at slightly different targets. Right. Um, and I think what we're all kind of acknowledging is that by and large, neither of them addresses them at the right target or the target that working people, the, 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 the neither of them really wants to point to the source of working people's pain because those sources are usually, you know, the ones that are also bankrolling, both parties, right? And, and um, you know, making uh, hay out of kind of propaganda spewed on this or that media network. They do not have working people's best interests in mind. Um, and I think that all you need to see to prove that is the state of the world that we are living in, right? I mean, we everyone wants to pretend like they represent the working man. And yet the plight of the working person in this country has gotten worse over my entire lifetime. Union density has plummeted. Working people have been, have been more productive uh, over the course of my lifetime than they ever have been. And yet, um, and profits have like increased along that uh, same timeline, productivity, so on and so forth. And yet the vast amount of that productivity is going into the pockets 
of the 1%, right? And so you can only go so far in that direction while the cost of living keeps going up, federal minimum wage keeps staying down, uh, union busting companies are allowed to kind of squash workers' attempts to make their jobs better uh, with like relative impunity and no political parties actually going to like come and help uh, people, uh, working people in that situation. So, you know, it's, it's people telling us to, uh, yeah, hate our, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the dipshit that we work with because he wears a, a Trump hat. Right. But you guys are both still getting screwed over by your boss. You're both getting rents jacked up on you by your landlords, right? You have more in common with each other than you do with the people who are telling you to hate one another. That applies to the right very much as well. Right. You know, every day on Fox News and you are seeing politicians in all these races picking up a lot of their talking points from Fox News and vice versa. But these are people who are telling you that it's, you know, your 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 trans co-workers. Right. Or, you know, your black neighbors or the people in who go to the church down the street from you who are a little bit different from you. They are your enemy, not, you know, the ruling class that is destroying the planet, that is ripping all that is sucking all the wealth out of this country and and stashing it, you know, like in offshore accounts and so on and so forth. Like we are all getting screwed by the same people, but we are all being told to fight with one another. And I think that whatever happens tonight, we have to remember that, you know, divided, we will always be uh, easily exploitable. Uh, if we actually want to improve the lot of working people in this country, we do need to band together as a class. We have to stop letting uh, these outside forces convince us that our fellow workers are the enemy. Even if you disagree with people's life choices, like you need to stop trying to control everyone else's life. You need to just let other people live. If you've got a trans neighbor, fucking get over it. Like they are just a working person like you. I talk, I interview like people from all over the political spectrum, from all walks of life. And I guarantee you, you have so much more in common with them than you do with Tucker Carlson or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Elon Musk. Like I, I guarantee you that is the case. But as long as we let those outside forces kind of pin us into these different corners and put us in these different boxes and convince us that our fellow working people are the enemy because they're a little bit different from us, the more that we will continue to go down a suicidal path that will lead with the, you know, continued immiseration of our society, the plundering of our collective wealth and the destruction of our shared planet. So we don't have a whole lot of time left and we have to start working together as a class to force this system to change. That was very well said. Uh, yeah, we got a punch. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, you may not have endorsed any candidates this year, but if you ever intend to run, I will definitely support you. Oh. Are you talking to me? No. Him, Max. yeah. <laughs> I've already told you I would love to have seen you. I know, again, but, but Max, I, you know. Max, it's like, that's just not his, I, I don't know. We need no, people so, like right. that out doing journalism and doing doing that. No, no, job. Of course, of course. I'm not, I don't wish politics on anyone. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, ugly. It is pretty. It is. It's a psychological blood sport. Yeah, I don't want to. I I hope you're not watching Harvey because it's literally going back and forth. Like the Johnsons up, Barnes is up. There, it's sixty percent reporting now, and they're literally the vote split is like a thousand votes. Like it's so oh. razor thin right now. <clears throat> so. 
I'm yeah. hoping that would be huge. That would be huge. Yeah. Right. Emotionally, for what it's worth, emotionally, my I'm more attached to the Evers gubernatorial campaign. Okay. I will tell you where he is right now. Evers is up by four. He is with fifty nine percent reporting. He's got a four point lead, and I agree. I actually think it is more significant that you win these gubernatorial races, not just because we need to be able to have stronger state government, but also because it's going to be divided government anyway. The GOP is going to win the House. It's a question of whether they win the Senate. You ultimately have. I thought we were going. In fact, I thought we were going to. That might have come up this evening. Look, the Biden administration is, is whatever fantasies they, they wove about an FDR presidency. Oh, I mean, those fantasies. <laughs> Harvey, do you think it's time after tonight, especially because it's definitely going to be a is it a red wave? I don't know. Oh, I think it's a red. wave. But whatever it is, could we please ask Joe to remove the bust of FDR from his freaking office already? Like, please take that out of there. That has no business in the in, in the Oval Office. You are nothing. You are anything but FDR. In fact, I am actually reading right now. See, he reads "No Ordinary Time" by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Have you read "The Fight for the Four Freedoms"? No, I have not yet done that. Don't tell me you're you're reading Doris Kearns Goodwin. <laughs> he met her at a wedding, and so he That's was. No, I mean, it's a very it's a it's a, it's it's it's, an, it's a good, smooth, easy read. Okay, but but given your politics, you should read the fight for the four freedoms. Yes, you should. All right. I will. I've already I read uh, Leadership in Turbulent Times, and that was a great book. And when I met her, she said, no, no, uh, no ordinary time is my best book. And Harvey's like laughing inside or vomiting. I I enjoyed reading it, you know, and and I no, I mean, it's so thorough. It takes forever to read. It's, it's really it's so book. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And and I think at this, at, we are desperate for some type of a leader. So I want to leave you guys with a thought, a thought for 24. Uh, Jesse Ventura. <laughs> and the reason I bring him up is because I don't think the Democrat, I mean, I really don't see Bernie running a third time. I don't think he can capture that magic again. I think there's a lot of distrust in Je- yeah, Mansion Parliamentarian for 24 is who Jen is picking. I'm going with uh, Mansion and the Parliamentarian because those are the people with all the power in the party. So I'm I'm going with them. That's my pick for. Can you, ma- you know what? I, can you imagine the hit history that is going to be written of these few years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, except for it won't be written properly. That's the problem. That's why we need these types of books, because if we don't sort of like have a Howard Zinn situation, we won't have that. We won't know what's going on. That's the problem. I already hear people making stuff up about like the people that are denying what happened when Trump was president. And that was only a couple of years ago. So, you know, over time, these myths become our history. That's the problem. Just like they want to erase history and not talk about well, it. Well, I, I want to. I, I just want to remind. I mean, you, you, you all know what I'm about to tell you, and that is, when will we? Tur- I don't. Well, I don't watch the cable news channels anyhow. But when are we going to be? When are we going to start hearing MSNBC blaming the left for once again? 
they oh, they're will. probably doing it right now. Yeah, I don't yeah. watch them, so I wouldn't know. But oh no, we predicted that it'll all be on the left's fault for not getting behind blue enough. Yeah, they'll probably yeah. say that in Florida. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> I'll relish in it. Say so when you actually put up somebody that you know is what I would consider a Democrat, I will consider voting for them. Well, I had really. By the way, my fantasies the last few years were number one that. That Bernie could win, but he didn't do what it ne- what he didn't do what needed doing if it was possible at all. Great. And my next one was that Sarah Nelson was going to become the head of the AFL CIO. Um, I mean, I had all these really great things that I was really pushing, I, you know, in my little way pushing for. And all I know is that Joe Biden, you know, but, uh, I don't. I mean, I'm speechless. So the the better question is: Is there a state worth moving to? That's interesting. I don't, that I don't know the answer to. Well, this is, uh, what are you thinking? Where would well, you, you go? You go to work? Arkansas where with the new. Sarah governor. Sanders. <laughs> uh, what, what, what about Arkansas? Sarah Huckabee Sanders is now the governor of Arkansas. You didn't hear. Oh, well, now, you know, Good, I'm, 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 <laughs> but don't worry. Contain uh, yourself, Harvey, contain your excitement. <laughs> uh, what was the red, what was the redhead's name again? That was the press secretary, Jen Psaki. No, we're, we are clearly living in bizarro world. If you ever know anything about the Superman comic book. Oh yeah. No, I call it that. I'm married to yeah. a comic geek. I know we are in bizarro yeah. world. It's crazy. Herschel Walker is going to be a Senator. He can't string a sentence together. I don't yeah. understand how this is like, it's crazy. It's the end. Of the Republican leader said, it said he, he it was indecent to even imagine a man a man like him on the on the literally on the ballot. <laughs> and yet he's there. <laughs> yet there he is. And there he is. And, and right he's now, and he's and uh, right. And he's already looking for where he's gonna live in DC. Well, here's the thing. This is the state that sends Marjorie Taylor Greene to Congress. All I can say is I hope and I pray right now, Walker is up by a point with 72% reporting about a 30,000 vote margin, but he's at 49.5%. If it can hold there and, and, not, not, cross and not cross over the 50% margin, I actually do think that Warnock would win the runoff if they had one in January. I do too. It'll be less of a Republican wave. He won't have yeah. flying in Kemp's coattails and right. it'll be able to be yeah. marketed as its own yeah, thing. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the bright side is that... Um, Georgia's sending another black man to the Senate. I don't take any comfort in that whatsoever. Well, of course I mean, you don't. I didn't mean for you to do oh, okay. so. I was going to say, I was talking about, I, I about the fact that, that when people start talking about racism as another reason certain candidates make it or don't make it, okay, there are too many ironies out there to, to fall into that right now. Yeah. The race is closing very quickly in Pennsylvania. Fetterman holds a two-point lead over Oz. 62% 62% reporting. My geekiest geekiest student, who's now several years into a a personal career, just texted me as he was saying that, and he said, I think we're going to win Pennsylvania. And weirdly, um, this is the last last thing I'll say. Then I'll I'll say goodbye to everyone. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Boebert's down um, with seventy one percent reporting. Oh, that would be wonderful. She doesn't <laughs> actually represent a big red district. Marjorie Taylor Greene does. Right. Her district is unwinnable Bobart by a blue person. is very, uh, yeah. She. Boebert. You know, we could always be better off without representatives Bobert. like that. So. Uh, That's. Uh, she's in my. I, I, and before you leave, Max, I want you to know that later tonight I'll order your book. 
Yes, you should. And Max, if you ever, and not that it matters now, because I've read the book, but I'm an audio book girl. And I think you have a really good voice. So like, if you were to do your audio book, that would be really cool too. Guys, if you haven't currently- It takes time. Max is, Max is as busy as anyone I know. If you haven't picked up a copy of The Work of Living, make sure that you get a copy. And it's a really pretty, it's a really pretty cover. And it also has a nice um, quote from Cornell West on the cover. It's a beautiful West, cover, by the way. That, that's OR books, right? Yes, sir. I love this cover. It's right. like, it reminds me of like, I say Sesame Street in the best possible way from when I was a kid, how I would picture like what a neighborhood would look like and all the different people. Like, I really like that. I think it's really cool. Yeah, uh, shout out. Well, I, like, I, my dream was to have the great artist Molly Crabapple design the cover and she actually said yes, so I couldn't be happier with that. It's ah. very cool. Very yeah, just, and just as long as you mentioned Sesame Street, I do want you to know that the Count and I share a birthday. Do Ooh, you? Very cool. Yes. That's very cool. October 9th, John Lennon, Jackson Brown, the Count, Harvey Kay. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty, that's I actually got time. my COVID vaccine because I wanted to see Jackson Brown and James Taylor. They were together here in a concert and they were requiring COVID vaccination. So I had to go get one. Yeah. Jen had to play the safe card. I had to play the card. Whatever. Uh, Max, before you go, Jackson anything, Brown and James Taylor. Anything you want to plug before you, you go. Can't beat that, yeah. It's always a pleasure having you on, brother. And yeah. I love, we love the background, by the way. I do. Really cool. yeah. Thanks so much, guys. No, it's been great. I like the green and gold, that part. The green and gold is what I like. <laughs> I bet you do. Hey, man, the Bears are finally looking like an actual NFL team now. So maybe oh, I'll Bears. Have, maybe I'll have some shit to talk to Harvey. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can actually shame me this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's, it's been great hanging out with y'all. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, a lot of results, you know, are going to kind of get clearer over the coming hours, but some maybe not for the coming, you know, days. So yeah. I would just caution people to kind of like, you know, settle in, wait for the picture to become a bit clear before making wild, um, you know, kind of uh, taking wild interpretations <clears throat> from the limited data that we have. I say that knowing that right now corporate media is doing the exact opposite uh, in every corner of the country. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens, um, you know, but but yeah, I think that the struggle very much uh, continues for, you know, a working class that can organize itself and fight for itself as a class. And, and we got to do our part to build that movement by standing up for one another, fighting for one another, building solidarity with one another and not letting these kind of outside forces so easily divide and disorganize and demoralize us. So, I mean, we try to contribute to that cause through the work that we do at The Real News, or the reporting that we do. Every week I interview workers about their lives and their jobs and dreams and struggles, but we also have great shows like the Police Accountability Report that reports on the ways that police are, you know, uh, uh, you know, screwing over working people in rural areas and cities like Baltimore. Really, really great program. Rattling the Bars, which is about the violence and victims of the prison industrial complex. The great Chris Hedges uh, was recording in the room next to me earlier this week. Um, the Chris Hedges Report premieres on our YouTube channel every Friday. So, um, you know, please support independent media like Generational Change. Please support the work that we do at The Real News. Um, and yeah, buy my book if, uh, if you, if you, uh, if you can. 
We're going to have to have you back on probably sooner rather than later, because if the railroad workers strike, we are obviously going to have to cover that. I really am waiting for the general strike. I want it to happen. I'm so ready. If the railroad workers strike, you might be looking at some form of a general strike. Okay, the good news for you to go out with is John Shelton tells me we are going to hold the veto in Wisconsin. That that is important. That is really important. All right, so we can end on a high note. Yes. Hi. Hi. Solidarity. Thanks, Max. Harvey, anything you're working on right now? I well, not surprisingly, I'm working on a on an FDR piece. But um, also, I, I just a lot of people call me. Although now we'll see what happens for political advice these days. I'm not so sure I'm the best, but I think there is an interest in FDR. Okay, folks on the left are at least waking up to the idea that maybe. Maybe FDR had things that are worth remembering and acting upon. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, thank you. Maybe so I'll have much. more to say about it in about in the next few months. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you'll come back for sure. Thank you so much for coming and chatting on well, election day. I, I do, I, I do want to partly apologize. I just, in spirit, I just had a hard time getting up tonight to the to the thing. You're always great. What are you talking? You're, you're, you're talk- well, I, I, I just felt like I should have had, I should have been more coherent at times. You're, you're always coherent. Did you see, I put my phone number in the chat. Yes, I did. I'm, okay, I've so written, now I wrote it down your- and I'm going to put it in my phone. There Thank you, you go. Now, now you'll be getting more you. things from me than you want. Well, text me that it's you. So I know it's you. Cause oh. I won't recognize your number. I'll if you do don't it. I will do it me. as soon as I get off. All right. Much appreciated. Thank you, Peter. Jen, it's great to see you. Thank you so much. Oh, by the way, it'll be far away from where you are, but I'm actually my wife and I say we're going out of Florida for two weeks this winter, but it's going to be over in the Sarasota area. Oh, that's really nice there. His dad lives has a house in Naples. Uh, yeah, he has a condo in Naples, so that's right uh, the road. Hey, you're, you'll yeah. have a lot of Sarasota's a great area, so hopefully you have. A yeah, I've got, I've got a lot of friends there. I always used to give talks to veterans groups down there. Ben, aggressive have, veterans groups. If you, have, if you have an excuse to drive to Sanibel Island, I don't know what the, I can't go there now. It's just not in a good way. Fair enough, but okay. Always well, my regrets that you didn't see a better turnout for Chris. I'm not. I, it's very no, uh, no. no. I, I was hoping just by some chance that that he might have been pushed out of 2024 yeah. if, they, if he did poorly. No, you're right. You're right. Thank no, you, Harvey. We've been saying it for a while, but we will talk soon. Always a okay. pleasure. Thank Bye, you, guys. Harvey. Bye-bye. All right. So now we need to talk local. So it looks like... We have uh, some good news and some bad news local. Uh, the, the bad news Go is there. that from, from a local elections perspective, uh, we would definitely say that Brenda Pham getting on the school board yeah. uh, does not do any favors. But I really believe no. that this could have been avoided if mistakes were not made by a number of people. And look, we were at an event. Uh, we were canvassing. Shout out to Gary Farmer. Uh, shout out to Gary Farmer. He is going to be uh, the circuit judge of the 17th judicial judicial. Well, circuit all of them are circuit. It's group 23. Uh, Chris Marion Brown. Congrats to him. Nice meeting you at the polls last week. Obviously, Rod Velez winning the school board Woo! district one. That That's one really of the people big. we've been canvassing for. Uh, the other school board seats we cannot say are the results that we were looking no. for, hoping for. No. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, 
The Zeman corn election, which was obviously a big one that Wasserman Schultz decided to get involved in, won't say anything further than that. There are still six precincts that haven't been counted, but Zeman is up by a little over 13,000, uh, 1,300 the, the votes. The problem in that race for people who is don't know is there is a- no, I can't count, 13,000. So there's so much baggage in that race. And it was just such a, like when there's so much baggage in a race, it's almost like the actual candidates aren't even what people are looking at anymore. They're only looking at baggage. They're looking, they're looking at who this person is affiliated with. Her, it's that the fear of her, if she gets indicted and the governor gets to remove her because she was one of four people that were recommended- um, by, uh, I guess it was some sort of, was it a committee that was investigating Marjorie um, Stoneman Douglas? And uh, she was one of the people that was supposed to be indicted. And so if she gets indicted, then the governor gets to appoint somebody. And that's the reason supposedly people were coming out for her opponent. Also have to say for Rod Velez, he ran a fantastic race. He also yep. had great marketing and he mm-hmm. only won his race by a little over four points. That just goes to show you. And the she power. didn't really campaign. No, that just goes to show you the power of the name. Because uh, he busted ass for that yeah, four points. This this lady who he ran against, Marie Murray Martin, is the daughter of a lady who was sitting flight. on the school, school board. <laughs> I didn't see anything. Sitting on the school board for a very long time. Shout out to Jeremy Katzman. Uh, great gentleman. Um, I'm bummed about Howard Meltzer. Uh, yeah, Howard Meltzer, good guy. Unfortunately, he lost to Lisa Mazzoli, uh, Malazzi. Uh, but Jeremy Katzman and Lisa Malazzi are the two people who were endorsed by the firefighters. So that does explain why that yeah. race didn't go as well. Even though Howard was a great candidate, we are definitely going to catch up with him. Shout out to our um, new friend, AJ yeah, Ryan. AJ Ryan. In Dania Beach. He is going to be the next Dania Beach city commissioner. I don't know how many seats. Is it two seats? Two. It's this so, election. It's two, the top two. So, so it's going to be AJ Ryan. Lori Llewellyn. We met uh, Lori's husband, a uh, very nice gentleman, who happens to have an open mic he has uh, open mic night, and he thinks Peter should come do impersonations there. Well, could be I think fun. I could might go there and have a good time. You know, the, yeah, you know, it's a restaurant. Uh, so shout out to AJ Ryan sorry, for winning his sorry, seat. Sorry about Lou Ramali. Uh, very, very nice guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. But, you know, these local elections, you know, you only lose by a couple of hundred votes. But That's most it. importantly... Not let me, oh, okay. please. You know what? I want to. I, I just feel like it's you're so I like. I want to go through this. I okay, build fine. it up. I don't want to go to it right at the, okay. right at the last minute. God. Uh, AJ late. Ryan winning, I think, is great. That's yeah. definitely a big one. And we just met him yesterday. Literally just yeah, met him yesterday. But really hit it off. Yeah. Really awesome guy. Uh, Mike Butler, who we did meet for a brief minute, was endorsed by the firefighters. Not a surprise. Wins uh, the out large seat uh, one in Hallandale. Uh, we so don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Joy Adams, a uh, nice lady who we've met before, apparently decided to run again. Uh, she ran for mayor against Joy Cooper last oh, time. Oh, that's who I was thinking that was. And I was like thinking, oh, why would I even care? Oh, OK. Yeah, cool. Kevin Biederman wins re-election in Hollywood's uh, district. Biederman, five. Biederman, Biederman. Hi, Biederman. Hi, Kevin Hi. Biederman. Tracy Kalari, who really... Somebody who has been on the commission for a while and really busts booty yeah. to make sure that she wins re-election. She puts in the work. She absolutely does. No Notice how not. he skips over everything that's not in our district. Well, uh, forgive me for, well, Tim Longgren, he decided to run for- And good for him. I Oakland like him. Park City Commission. I like March. him. You just skipped the most I, important I know. one. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to it. Oh, okay. We'll back to it. My new friend, Eric Anderson, Eric won Anderson his, kept his seat re-election. in Plantation. Denise Horland, no kept surprise, her seat. keeps her seat. Louis Reinstein, not a surprise, wins his seat. 
Uh, shout out to Wayne Clark. Thank you for running a great race. Don't know what the Stillen Cole guy no, deal was or what recall. difference that would have made. Uh, never saw him at the polls. Never saw. Him I don't never anything. saw a sign for that person. Yeah. I honestly, I like Lewis and I like Wayne. I don't have a, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there can be multiple decent people. Congrats to our friend, Jackie Guzman. Good for, for you. Election. Even without the police. Yeah. Good for you. Good for her. And she won handedly. Mary Molina McAfee. Shout out to you. Wins Weston city seat four. Byron Jaffe wins uh, two candidates who were both endorsed by the firefighters again. There's a theme here. I was going to say, do you know that? It's a firefighter theme. We generally go with the firefighters. There is a theme. There is no question about it. Uh, Don't know uh, necessarily what these do. I don't. And I can talk about the state amendments. That's a whole other annoying thing. But last but not least, and of course, we wanted to save it to the end, the most important race of all. And when I say important, if any of you have any hope of Jen running for Congress again, this is one of those dominoes that had to fall. And it did. And Nick Sortle will be the new mayor of Plantation. Lynn Stoner, who was one of Debbie Wasserman Schultz's biggest ardent defenders, Uh. is now, not only has she been unseated, but she's been unseated by a landslide. Uh, Nick wins the seat with 61% of the vote to 30, just under 39% of the vote. So can I just say how much he kicked ass though? He really did. Let me tell you, Nick really put in the work, guys. He, he was knocking, I mean, he, he started out originally was doing like a hundred doors a day himself. Like that's his, he was actually out pounding the pavement and really busting ass and she didn't do anything. She hung up some signs. Um, I actually didn't see like anything from her. She didn't put in the work. She just sat there and rested on what she thought was her laurels, probably bullied the firefighters and some of the local businesses to support her. And it didn't work. And she also was uh, being a little underhanded with uh, some of the people who may have been working. Don't we don't have no, to no, say no, no. I that. don't have to say anything. But she definitely there's an appearance of impropriety in how she used her position and campaigning. And to me, that could involve city funds. I don't know. Um, I'm going to look into Not that. that. There's anything wrong with Not that. There's any, no, there is something very wrong with that. So. Um, there's something very sketchy there. The fact that she didn't win doesn't make it a top priority to investigate, but something very shifty there. And also quite honestly, she's a bully and I don't like bullies. And anybody who knows me, I will always vote against the bully. She's a bully. And she actually, even at one point at a commission meeting, bullied my teenage volunteers who were wearing Jen shirts and told them they weren't allowed to wear those to a commission meeting. Like that's some sort of law. Like you could do that. It turns out it is a plantation rule, uh, which I was talking to Mr. Anderson about tonight, which, by the way, is unconstitutional. And if anybody were to really challenge that, they would win. So you can have that rule, but try to enforce it and you will lose. I don't like bullies. I like how the state of California has not counted a vote and they've already called the race for gathering. (laughs) (laughs) Zero precincts reporting. We have declared gathering from the (laughs) winner. That's literally says Gavin Newsom wins, and there's nothing even counted. Well, we have don't even have numbers. We have a very important race in California that we are looking at, though. We are hoping that it doesn't uh, turn into a disaster. Yes, very much. Of course, Katie Porter. uh, I don't know why the precincts have already closed. You would think that the votes would already be uh, counted in California. And Katie Porter, if you hear this, we reached out. We wanted a phone bank for you yesterday. I would have I would have committed a better my part goodness. of my evening last night phone banking for this you. And we couldn't get a response from the team. This is a red country. Right oh, yeah. Now. Well, that's and that's thanks to the Democrats for so royally. Be- they're so royally bad that it forces people to the right. 
even people that wouldn't normally be to the right. They've got nowhere to go because the Democrats are just sort of wishy-washy in the middle. If you don't go to the left, you're never going to win. You're not going to win. I, it's, I just don't know. How, how do we explain it to them? Maybe if I do an interpretive dance with it. I, I just, I don't know how to get through to the people. And at a local level, it's very hard. This will hopefully make it a little bit easier. So I knew that Charlie Crist was going to lose. I knew that. That was a no-brainer. Um, and yeah, I wanted him to lose by a lot. I did. Because I feel like there needs to be a sort of come to Jesus moment for a lot of these Democrats. And they need to realize they don't like you. They don't like you. The 80s called it once it's politics back. You're not doing anybody any favors. Go home. That's how I feel. And it's like if it had been a close race, they wouldn't have gotten the message. They would have been able to blame it on too many other little variables or whatever. They can't claim it was racist this time. I could tell you that they can't claim it was racist. So I don't know what they're going to say. Maybe people don't want a washed up ex-Republican governor running for governor of the Democratic Party. And that shows that the Florida and the Democratic Party of Florida has no bench. And the only person that they do have, really have right now, is, uh, well, they've got Maxwell Frost. Kudos to Maxwell getting into Congress. And Sheila. And you have Sheila Scherfless McCormick. And you have in the Statehouse, you have Anna Eskamani. And that's about it. That's basically what you got. Carlos Guillermo Smith may lose tonight. That would suck. Uh, it's not good. Our friend, um, Gabriel lost. Yes. Every, like just Florida, it's not happening for the blue. Now the good news is, is that this is a Adam Frisch. It's, it's not, you know, there's 71% reporting, but Adam Frisch has almost a four point lead over Lori Bulbert in Colorado's third congressional district. Now that would be Now if you could get Lori Bulbert out of Congress, that would be nice. But then again, I, I think that the GOP also knows the the stars are aligning for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, what was the final split between uh, Maria Elvira Salazar and Annette Tadeo? So I will go back to Florida for a minute. I'm curious about that. So in our district, which is now um, 27 or is 20? Look at how red this state is. Yeah. That's pretty freaking red. Yeah. But when we're looking at, where's um, Showmore? Oh. So Maria Elvira Salazar beats her by 15 points. 15 points. And, and they kept saying it was close. They kept saying this because this was like a nail biter. Now, here's the thing. I like Annette. She's nice. She is nice. Yeah. And I do think that she's well-intended. I do think I that. I agree. But she's just not charismatic enough to take down someone who is. And it's unfortunate. It's un- and, and, in a, and in a year when clearly there was a huge red wave. So it's like she needed all the help she could get, and she got none of that with what happened in the – I mean, it's just pitiful. I mean, Debbie, she lost by the same margin that Carla Spaulding did. Yeah. Carla Spaulding, shout out to you. Met your son. He's adorable. And um, Carla lost um, to Debbie by 15 points. So Carla lost to Debbie by the same amount that Annette Tadeo lost. No, actually less. 10 points. 10 points. Okay, Carla lost by 10 points. Debbie, she's gaining on you. She's gaining on you. And who's going to be there for you if you keep pissing off all your friends here by endorsing other people? I don't know. Kind of running out of places to go. (laughs) You're running out of people. And then in New York, uh, the fact that New York is even competitive is just kind of amazing. Right. New York should be like a done deal. It shouldn't be like this. No, it, it should. But Kathy Hochul's lead over Lee Zeldin has shrunk to... 
just over 12 points, uh, 56% of the vote recording. Uh, that blue recording. dot is Ithaca. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> the fact that Syracuse and Rochester are currently red uh, should tell you really all you need to know. Syracuse uh, shouldn't be red. Syracuse should no. be pretty blue. But Go Buffalo. And yet they couldn't handle <laughs> Indira Walton. India Walton. No. Uh, but Lee Zeldin is closing the gap. Um, he was down by 18 just a little while ago. Now he's basically within 12, 57% reporting. Uh, there's no telling how late this may go in terms of the vote count. Uh, in terms of these you know, governorships, I think that that's where the, the importance of these races really play a big role. Okay. The Northeast is pretty blue for the most part. Uh, Chuck Schumer, no surprise, wins re-election. Somebody by a, should primary him. Uh, very big margin. Uh, 20 points. Yeah, not a surprise. Uh, but then again, that's a federal seat, not a state seat. And so the governor's race obviously plays a big role there. Uh, again, as far as any of these other states are concerned. Mark Kelly seems Mark so comfortable right now. It's only 48%. Yeah, but you never know how things can turn um, as the other half of the state is counted. The same with the governor's race, Katie Hobbs holding on to a 14-point lead over Carrie Lake. Um, what I will say is if both candidates do end up winning, and I'll be I'll have egg on my face because I thought for sure Carrie Lake was going to win, uh, I think it's going to really be a referendum on Trump in a lot of ways. And and that, you know, you think about the candidates that he's endorsed, but then again, a number of the but Trump JD candidates. Vance is win. You got J.D. Vance. You got uh, also uh, Herschel Walker, uh, who's still trending. Uh, you know, that to me is it. <laughs> uh, you're distracting me, Jen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've already looking at that book. Who knows how many copies it actually sold? Uh, uh, wait, what happened to the map? Oh, you just. I didn't do anything to it. So the election that we are really uh, concerned I, I, about is Katie Porter's, but we're not getting any data. Yeah, we're not getting any data right now as far as California is concerned. As far as Ohio is concerned. Uh, still, it's going to be J.D. Vance. It's probably going to be J.D. Vance. They haven't called it yet, but right now J.D. Vance holds a solid seven-point lead. 88%, 88 reporting. percent record, reporting. Um, there really isn't much in the way of ground to be made up at this point. Uh so Ohio is looking like. Uh, but see, they got a Democrat governor and a Republican Senate. Now, as far as the state of Michigan is concerned, which does have an important governor's race right now, Gretchen Whitmer is holding on with a five point lead over Tudor Dixon. Her first name is Tudor. Yeah, that can't be right. She just made that shit up. Maybe. What kind of name is that? Tudor Dixon? I don't know. That's I like really don't Scooter. We've got a lot of scooter. counties in the Upper Peninsula that haven't been counted yet. They're usually red. We call those the dingleweeds. Got the uh, multiple counties out here that haven't been counted yet. This is actually a very close race between Whitmer and Dixon. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer has aspirations of trying to run for the presidency one day. She may. Not feeling uh, it. But she is also somebody who has failed dramatically, as our friend Melissa Mays will let us know. Uh, in terms of you know, being able to deal properly with Flint and not removing the pipes. Oh, oh so. good, 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 good. But do you know, that's good. I want to know what, do you know what percentage of the, 
of the votes are in. 50%. So it, it's still early. It doesn't mean that the numbers can't be made up. You never know what's going to happen. Just makes me but nervous. knowing Carrie Lake, she'll probably not, uh, you know, she won't concede. That's very unlikely to happen. Uh, but there is no question that we're, we're in a situation right now where the Michigan gubernatorial race is actually very close. So we'll see. Uh, again, there's no telling how that's going to shape up. Um, but it's still very early, as are a lot of these other races. And a number of them are not going to be called tonight. You know, probably by tomorrow night when we do come on live and we're having a very important show. Jen, what's tomorrow Yeah, night? so guys, tomorrow night we're having on Beth Macy. She's the author of what, for those of us who watch Dope Sick on Hulu, if you haven't seen it, it's a mini series based on her book um, with the same name. And it's about the, um, the Sackler family and the Oxycontin scandal and really the disservice that they've done to this country. And they should really be in prison. They're not. We'll talk about that. But she has a new book out called Raising Lazarus, which is essentially a follow up to the op where the opioid crisis is now compared to when she wrote Dope Sick. So the things that have changed and what's going on. And I'm sure nobody will be surprised. We're not handling it well. We're not doing it well. And as a huge intersection to you, we don't have health care. So that that intersectionality between the opioid crisis and healthcare is massive. Um, there's other issues as well. Obviously, COVID um, exacerbated a lot of that for people when people were losing work and people unable to get um, their their accurate health care turned to things like on the streets. And there's been a lot of fentanyl overdoses. I mean, it's it's out of control. Um, so we're going to be speaking with Beth Macy tomorrow night, and I'm excited because I, I haven't read Dope Six, saw the miniseries, but I did read her new book um, that just came out in August. So check that out. I think it'll be really interesting. You guys won't be too shocked as to how badly we've handled the opioid crisis, um, but I'm just trying to renew people's interest to maybe have the Sackler family, like, I don't know, incarcerated, beheaded, exiled. Um, these are horrible people. One can hope. Ugh. They should be in prison. This is my deal. I will support a for-profit prison industry if we let out all the nonviolent drug offenders and replace it with members of the Sackler family, Big Pharma, and the actual drug criminals in this country. And if you want to profit per day off of them in your private prison, I'm willing to have that. Like, I'm willing to concede private prisons as long as you're incarcerating the correct people. Yeah. That's how I feel. That would be nice. Another... Uh Electoral update. Uh, right now, John Fetterman holds a one-point lead over uh, Meminaz with 68% reporting. Very, very close. It's it's very nerve-wracking. Guys, Dr. Oz is such a capitalist, elitist whore. I don't understand how people in Pennsylvania would vote for someone who lives across the border in a castle. <laughs> could, you, could you even more obviously vote for like, it's like voting for a king. And thank you, Democratic Party, for screwing Charles Booker. Rand Paul is winning re-election by 22 points. But instead, you decided that you were going to have <laughs> Amy McGrath run against Mitch McConnell. Ugh. Oh, my God. And they'll say, well, you know, Amy McGrath only lost by 18 points. Well. Against Mitch McConnell. Against Mitch McConnell. Not Rand Paul. Yeah. Rand Paul is not hated. In fact, Rand Paul is not a corporate whore and, and his people must actually like him or he wouldn't be able to stay there because he doesn't take corporate money. So 
he must be doing something right. Again, I don't agree with his politics. I don't agree with his politics, but obviously he's doing something right because he's able to stay there without corporate money. Mitch McConnell, he needs to go and he's never going to die. I'm convinced that he's immortal. I'm convinced it's like death becomes her, like he's covered in that like shellac, like a, like a spray paint situation that keeps him looking like he's human. But in fact, he's green underneath like a corpse. He is like the Grim Reaper. He is a horrible human being. He's a horrible human being. I can't really say at this point. Oh my God, what that's this brutal. Look like it's um, brutal. You know when it goes west, California obviously is going to fill in a number of uh, Democratic House seats. Uh, Hawaii will fill in two. Alaska, one, uh, wait, uh, Hawaii two? Yeah, Hawaii two. And uh, Alaska, I believe, is one. Um, we'll see if the incumbent uh, Democrat. Uh, the lady's name is slipping me right now, uh, is able to hold. Oh, the um, love of all that is holy. So I don't know what this is going to look like, but right now it's definitely trending towards a GOP takeover of the House, of the U.S. Senate. Um, it's still a little too early to say. Um, a lot is really riding on whether or not Barnes or, or, or Johnson wins Wisconsin. Uh, is Ted Budd going to win or Sherry Beasley is going to win? Uh, right now, Ted Budd looks like he is pulling away from Sherry Beasley in uh, North Carolina. Uh, if that seat uh, goes red. Uh, They'll red. blame Matthew Ho. They'll blame the Greens. It won't be enough. <laughs> too many. Did it wasn't enough, but they blame Jill Stein. And that wasn't well, anywhere I mean, near yeah, enough. I mean, they're going to try. That was, that's what I mean. That wasn't anywhere near enough. The Democrats are dangerously <laughs> close to losing the Senate. Um, so. Honestly, they deserve to. They deserve to. If you're sitting in a power position and you fail to deliver what people need, why would you get to stay there? In any other job, they'd give it to someone else. And so I'm sitting here and I think it's hilarious because these people actually think that they could continue to absolutely do nothing and just sit there. By the way, <laughs> any hopes of Mike Lee getting unseated in Utah against Evan McMullen, who is running as an independent. Right now, Mike Lee holds a 25-point lead. Now, granted, it's 15% reporting. Don't know exactly where McMullen is going to be strong. My guess is, is that it's Salt Lake City. Uh, those areas aren't being counted as of yet. Maybe Shit, the race will end up being... Uh, you know what's in Provo. You know what they sent. You know who they sent to Provo. The church. No, no. Bad kids get sent to Provo. Oh, I didn't know that. Especially if you're from the California area and you have discipline problems, you end up in a boarding school in Provo. It's not kid like there's like it's basically like juvies there in Pro like that's what like to me when I hear Provo, I think of juvenile detention. Mm. Don't be bad and go to Provo. I've heard it's bad there. So let's see what's actually happening in Illinois. Want to take a look at that one real quick, Tammy? Let's Duckworth. look at Illinois. Tammy Duckworth wins re-election. Not a surprise. Chicago is usually pretty safe. She's got that good de uh, veteran card, too. J.B. Pritzker wins re-election over Darren Bailey, who, remember, he did fund his campaign to, well, when you're a billionaire, there's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, TM, always a pleasure, Dal. Thank you so much for your support, as always. Uh, yeah, so tomorrow night's going to be a very interesting show talking about Dope Sick. It's uh, going to be sad. I mean, like, it's definitely not an uplifting topic, okay? I mean, it's really upsetting, and uh, honestly listening to her book and she does narrate her own audiobook, which I appreciate. Um, it's upsetting. It's really upsetting. And I, I, I want people to read this because we need the first thing that needs 
to change with the opioid crisis, the very first thing that we have to do before we can do anything is change the stigma um, of what addiction is and what that looks like. And we need to, we need to look at it um, instead of wanting to penalize, punish, and erase those people as if somehow they're bad or evil or wrong. Um, what, what we need to do, I don't know what you're showing me. Oh, I don't know who that is though. Bobby's wife. Oh, so uh, we need to change the stigma. And, and if we're able to change the stigma of what addiction looks like and who it's affecting, our attitudes about how to help people will change. So I feel like by addressing it the way we're going to be doing it, it's really, that's my, my goal is for people to come away from tomorrow night with an understanding of um, what substance use disorder is, um, what the people are going through, what, how we can make it better. And by the way, I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. We all do better when we all do better. Okay, we're all better with people being healthy and educated and not, uh, you know, dependent on drugs. We're just all better off that way. Um, And so I just think we need to we need to look at this. And people don't realize we're so puritanical and conservative with a lot of these things in this country compared to other countries. We actually have states right now that are trying to ban needle exchanging, which has been proven to reduce uh, transmission of AIDS and other diseases and reduce the amount of dependency and Sharing addiction. needles? What are you talking about? It's a needle exchange. Oh. So you bring in your used needles and they give you clean needles oh, and these are set up like okay. in, in- I mean, I guess I misunderstood. Okay. I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. If people didn't know, a needle exchange is for people to go and get clean needles, um, sort of because they're living on the streets. They have no access to buy things. And if you provide clean needles, it's just a service. It's just making everything better for us. And anyway, again, but there's this stigma that those are bad people and they're addicts and why should we help them and just screw them? And I, and it's just so that um, not understanding the nature of the collective. And I, everyone knows, I think that's really important. And I've always been somewhat um, sympathetic and understanding of like addiction and what that is, but not everyone is. And this was even eye-opening for me like the kinds of what people are dealing with and people that are trying to help them are having to be like, it's like the there's this old man in Fort Lauderdale and they used to arrest him for feeding homeless people. That's the people that are trying to help the people with substance use disorder. They're being punished for trying to help them. That's where we are in this country. And it's just, um, it's upsetting. So I'm hoping we'll be able to help with the, at least clear some stigma uh, add add to the solution. We'll yeah. have more, obviously, to talk about tomorrow night. Um, right now, Herschel Walker leads Raphael Warnock by 700 votes. Oh, my God. Which is incredible. 86% reporting. They're both sitting at 49%. If it were to hold, they would go to a runoff. Uh, you That's never, our best case scenario right now, I, I think. I would agree. I, I think it's going to be very hard. But I think this is just a very neck-and-neck race. You really can't. You know, I, I really can't call it one way or the other. Uh, I think that the Senate race in North Carolina is looking more and more like Ted Budd's. He ha- he holds a three-point lead. He is holding a 140,000-vote lead with 81% reporting. That's kind of a— That's a big lead. I got to tell um, you how I feel about that. Good. Good. They 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 work tirelessly to keep Matthew, to keep Ho, Matthew off, Ho off the, off the ballot. ballot in North Carolina for that race. Shame on you. 
And to me, anybody who does stuff like that and participates in, in kind of suppress people from participating, shame on you. It's almost poetic because the amount of votes he's going to get are not going to be anywhere near the amount of votes that is going to be the margin no. of victory. No. So. But they had to go out of their way to try to keep him off the ballot. They did. And. Every time they do, it's almost like when people do that, I like personally, I vote against those people every single time because it's just, it's trying to hurt, you know, the vote. Uh, John Fetterman is holding a one point lead, about 40,000 votes, a little over 40,000 votes with 72% reporting. Mm. Uh, I would say that, well, he's doing good up here. Uh, Every state looks the same. Every state in this country, with the exception of like New York and California, are like red with little blue dots in them. Fetterman is definitely doing what he can uh, to hold off Oz, uh, which he worked hard. He did. I think the I think the debate really hurt him. And I didn't watch it. So what? Like, was it just bad? It's just his communication is just way off, and it's unfortunate. And you think that's specifically from the stroke or was he, maybe he wasn't great before that with the communicating. I don't know. Yeah, no, it definitely played a role. There's no question that it played a role. And so last but not least, before we do go, we are going to obviously do our traditional, which is asking you guys to give us money. So go to <laughs> patreon.com forward slash generational I, to, I think Ben's stuck at the door. He is. I, I don't know, but I think so. Didn't hear or not, but I, I, I will sell you on why you want to become a patron of this channel. So we're obviously not going to have candidates on, but what we are going to have is a lot of more in-depth conversations with also content creators, with important people uh, that are going to be involved in a variety of different things that is going to help our channel grow. But if you are so inclined, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a supporter of our channel. If you do decide to be a little bit more generous, $10 a month will get you the Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker. Lord knows you want to get these now because we're getting awfully close to election season beginning. Okay, and by the way, I sent one to, I did, I sent one to him. And when you see it on Jordan's show, everyone's going to want one. It's going to be all the rage. All the rage. <laughs> I sent him a Lulu sticker We got a Lulu sticker too. sticker too. So those are always important. But if you are so inclined and really feeling generous, <laughs> oh, become guys. a $25 a month patron, you get one of these wonderful babies, the Generational Change Jersey, silk as silky smooth, <laughs> tri-blend. <laughs> it's tri-blend. It's the best. <laughs> but if you really do not want to give best. us any money, uh, Willie, that's great news. But if you are so inclined. You know what? Absolutely. Cash app. Which of Can I please say I love Matthew Jen Ho? Jen He's James. like, honestly, Matthew Ho is like, like to me, like an ideal candidate. Like I would vote for him for pretty much anything. I think, um, he's just the kind of people that I want representing. He's exactly the kind of people that I want representing. Well, he, I still think he very likely could run for president. I could actually see him running in the green party. I think if the green party knew anything about what they're doing, we know they don't, we know they don't. That's for sure. I just, the name alone is never going to work. Uh, Jesse Ventura. Is that's the, the only, that's our own, Jesse, you is, are our only hope. Is the forward party going to be able to uh, do what they're going to do? And know. of course, last but not least, small business neighbors, our good friends at Apex Insurance Agency. For your home, auto, and life insurance, you got to give them a call because they are a local small business based in Delray Beach. They will give you a quote and you might be surprised with how much money they can save you. 
It may not be, uh, it sounds like a pitch of some sort, but I can assure you. Stick with a small business. If you don't have somebody, check them out. See what they could do for you. When you use somebody local, they'll actually go out of their way. And when rates go down and stuff, they'll let you know and they'll try to help you out. When you use a big thing, you don't get that. So if you don't have somebody, check them out. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Yeah, they might be really nice to you for that. They might be. Uh, So with the Senate race that has been officially called, J.D. Vance is going to be the next U.S. Senator from the state of Ohio. Uh, That fills in the map even more for the GOP. Uh, Right now, um, Ron Johnson has a two-point lead with 74%. Again, all I keep hearing is Don Johnson. (laughs) Ron Johnson. No, I think Don Johnson or I think Ron Jeremy. Those are the two things I think every time you say Ron Johnson. Ron, Ron's Johnson. That's what I think. I think Ron Jeremy. Oh, Ron Jeremy. What else do we have going on? Is there anything else interesting? At this point, I... How well did Maxwell Frost do? He did pretty well, but that's... No, no, no. I know. I'm just curious. Like, I, I don't know what the numbers were there. In the state of Florida. Duh. I didn't know she was an author. <laughs> I, I, I wonder That's why I feel like it. we really shouldn't have that much trouble getting a book out. Everybody apparently can write a book. Apparently. This is really good, guys. Guys, seriously, Max's book is really good. And, and I don't, I've gotten to where it's hard for me now that I've been doing audiobooks to actually read and not get distracted. And I actually have been reading this and wanting to read it like I would with like books I would get really into like fiction books. And so this actually is really good. And the story, the story with the grave diggers, honestly, the stuff that goes into what they do on the dip, like is fascinating. Have you ever like, do you ever know what people, how they, what they do with cemeteries and stuff other than you have a general idea? Very interesting. wins his race by almost 20 points. Okay. So that's good. But Florida is a sea of red. Dare we go look at how uh, Aaron Grawl did? Go look to the uh, state house. I don't think we have state house uh, information here. Why? Well, why can't we, we get don't. state house? We have U.S. Mean? House, U.S. Senate, Governor, and ballot measures. That's it. Well, then somewhere you would have to find the state house race because it exists. Goes yes on every ballot. Of measure. course, people just vote yes. They just vote yes. So, so if you want to get a ballot measure going, that's how you get it passed. Because if you get it on the ballot, odds are it's going to pass. People it is. vote yes. People vote yes. They're so stupid. People who voted, the people who voted yes on two, you're morons. You don't understand what it is. I assure you, you don't understand. And you just voted yes. You just voted away one of the last ways that regular people can get issues on a ballot. And you just voted away that right. I... It's beyond. And granted, it is written somewhat complicated on purpose, and it's frustrating that this was even able to get on the ballot by whatever fascists decided to put this on the ballot because they knew people would vote yes. We just lost, seriously, the second to last way that we have to have things for regular people pass in a red legislature in Florida, and they just voted against it. (laughs) Shocking, right? (laughs) Completely shocking. Uh, I never understand why the votes slow down in certain areas. Like, I really don't. Well, because places are much slower. Look, you're looking at Nebraska. Things must move slow there. Well. It's Nebraska. What's wrong with Nebraska? Nothing's wrong with Nebraska, except for it's, you know, I was a Colorado fan, so we would always say Oklahoma sucks, but Nebraska swallows. Well, that was always what we say in Colorado. Iowa is, uh, no surprise, going red, uh, heavy red. 
but you're actually sending Chuck Grassley back to the U.S. Senate. He'll be 95, 96 years old. So I want to see the state house race in Ohio and see how Sam's doing. We need to find state house races. Can you that's please just- I, No, that's Iowa. Uh, uh, it's Ohio. Ohio. I know. I know it's Ohio, but you, I want just, you to find state house races. Just look up Sam Lawrence. I think it works that way. You can try. You can try. We've. I mean, think about the amount of people. I want to know how Jasmine did. Like, why are you not looking up all our people? Uh, time to wait. Okay, so I guess that may he not didn't have win. announced. Uh, probably not. Uh, Carrie Lake looks like she's done. Very interesting. I wonder if she'll concede. I wonder if she'll So concede. Carrie Lake didn't win? That's surprising to me. I thought that the polls said that she was definitely winning. I'm just, that that one is surprising to me. So far, nothing else has been surprising yeah, to me. Yeah, I agree with that. But she, you know, maybe because she's kind of a little, but no. But you only have 48% reporting. You only have 48% reporting. Re- I, so I don't you know can't that, say that. that. Why yeah. would she concede? I wouldn't yet. No, well, Carrie's not going to concede. She'll wait till the last yeah. possible yeah. minute. Yeah. So I'm not going to go. And this is. Uh, I mean, and granted, I'm not a fan. This is the Associated Press. This is basically as up to date as you're going to get just in terms of what the votes are going to look like. I was like. trying to watch Nate Silver earlier, but I was just like... No, he's, he sucks. Uh, so Greg Abbott wins by 13 points, which again, was pretty much the range of what I was expecting that he was going to win this by. Beto, Beto, Beto. Robert Francis. Beto. You, you're not going to win. It's not going to happen. Man, um, alive. But people just, they, they have no concept that there is a strategy. Like there is, it's, but people, do, like the fact that he said that, and his guys, as soon as he said that he was coming for their guns, we said, that's it for him. He's never going to win another race in Texas. So our good friend Jasmine uh, Crockett is going to the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House. Uh, we love to see that. She won by a substantial oh. margin, but- my guess is, is that she probably really wasn't challenged. Texas 30 is and yeah, And it's blue. very blue. It's very yeah. blue. But so what? Her primary was harsh. Henry Cuellar looks Ugh. like he's probably going to hold. That sucks. Uh, I would vote for, I'd vote against him if I were there. Mm. I'd vote for whoever that was. In Texas 15th, Monica De La Cruz, unfortunately, is leading Michelle Vallejo. Uh, Did we have her on? No. Okay. Uh, by 10 points, uh, 10.5. At 66%, it's not looking too good right now. Uh, Did we have anybody that we liked that was in California? Katie Porter. Dan Dan Crenshaw. Crenshaw. Yeah, Dan Crenshaw (laughs) with the most gerrymandered seat you could ever possibly imagine. Al Green? He's still still there. Hold on. Yeah, Al Green. He's still there. No, but that's... That's not Al Green. Yeah, it is. No, I know who Al Green is. Oh, somebody else? I Do you don't. not know who Al Green is? I guess I don't. The singer? Oh, uh, no. I don't know. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm such a loser. Uh, and also, uh, Greg Kazar. Uh, and is. he, Mr. Castro, Jen's former ball man. Joaquin. Joaquin. And where are They're we? very popular in, te- in San Antonio, the Castro brothers. They're very, very popular. Oh, there's more. Okay. Okay. So Greg Kazar is going to Congress. Good for him. Definitely need, need definitely need him. Did there. we have him on? No. Okay. So Texas is, let's see, one, two, it has 37 seats. That's right, I lost one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Okay. Well, it's still a very red state. Um, <laughs> I thought they were going to flip Texas. Weren't they going to flip Texas? I thought they were flipping Wait, Texas. Beto? <laughs> this is the state that elects Ted Cruz. Uh. Yeah. Ted, and, how about, and how about Ted Cruz showing up at the Houston Astros uh, parade? <laughs> In the float. <laughs> How disconnected can one person be? Not read a room. Like he is so. He's the most disliked person in the Senate by everyone in the Senate. <laughs> like he is the most disliked person in there. It's so pathetic. He is so. Yeah, it's it's really. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Ugh. Such a loser. Well, the good news is Ted Cruz is up for re-election in two years. Hey, Beto, you looking for something else to run for? I didn't oh want to give him any God. ideas. <laughs> but we all know that he may, He's you know. never winning a seat in Texas again. All right, so let's hold our breath. Where's Katie Porter? I'm so sad. Katie's all the way at the bottom, I know Yeah, that. yeah, she's because Orange County. Oh, it's like, in, it's way past that. Uh, Daryl Issa, I remember him. Um, no, where is okay, she? Right. Okay, okay. So right ah. now, 41% reporting. She's holding a steady 15, almost, yeah, 15 and a half point. Okay, okay. I feel a little okay bit better. I feel now. a little, this is the biggest piece of shit ever. Daryl Issa. Issa, Issa, whatever. He's a total Issa, piece of Issa, shit. Issa. Ugh. He is like that. He's he's like the wealthiest person in, in the house. Yeah, he is. He's one and, of them. And he, yeah, he is, yeah, he is a piece of sh- Okay, so this is this is the only way that the Democrats- Kermit! This is the only way that the Democrats hold on to power. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven out of 52. Counties or districts in California. The Democrats collect 45 House seats in California. That's that's just that is California's its own country. It really is. Well, but uh, but they're so feckless. Forty five congressional seats. Forty five. That's I amazing. really, really, really want Warnock and Fetterman to win. Like the idea of Oz going and Herschel Walker. So the oh, Democrats, people. if you count California. <clears throat> If we if we are to count California, let's just say the numbers hold, the Democrats would be at 148 seats, and the GOP would be at 163 seats. Okay, so here's my my hypothesis: if there's the Great Earthquake and California falls off into the ocean, then there's no way the Democrats could ever again take any part of Congress. No, they definitely wouldn't be able to. Our, our but it is pretty disunited. remarkable. It is pretty remarkable how supermajority California is. Hey, look, that's all the Democrats can say. Hey, look, we got California. That's really what matters. Let's see what happens. Let's see what's happening before. Well, you know, know Rick Larson wins. Happening. You know all those people. Yeah, but let's see what's ha- happening with Patty Murray if she's really winning that easily. Who are we looking at? Oh, in Washington. Well, you know, I mean, listen, she's going to win most likely. Uh, but she is in a 14-point race, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's pretty – she's going to win. Yes, that's a I pretty, would say that she's going to win. All right, let's What's see. What's going on in 
Oregon, the governor's race, which everyone was talking, wow, this is really close. That is really close. So Tina Kotek is up by one point, less than one point, less than 10,000 votes. But only 47% reporting. So Chris, less than half reporting. Christine Drazen is running. And then you've got- I this, would say Drazen. Drazen. You got this Betsy Johnson, no party affiliation. I don't remember if she like pumped a lot of money into the race or if it's Christine. Well, she Drazen. got a lot for being no party affiliation. She got 9.2%. Yeah, it's probably a lot of money in there. There has to be something because that's- I don't know why Nevada has not called anything at this point. Because they're back ass words. Back ass words? That's a word. Back ass words. You're just making up words. Back ass words. Katie Hobbs. They're st- they have completely stopped counting in Arizona. Why? Don't know. Ha- Are you just saying that? They're still stuck at 48%. They've been there forever. So that's There's very something going on there. Yeah, this is always the case. And of course, we all know what Carrie Lake's going to do. She's going to cl- cry fraud. That's what they always do. And we don't know how that's going to unfold, but- I wouldn't be. There was something interesting in Virginia that people were talking about. There was a congressional seat that was interesting in Virginia. Ted Budd is about to win uh, the election for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. He is holding an almost four point lead with 95 percent reporting. I am very surprised I haven't called it. The Lord knows they probably have outstanding votes in Charlotte. Let's reach out and see if we can get Matthew on next week or something at some point. Like we should reach out to some people and get them on for like a little bit of a post game because he's such a good like candidate. He is. Uh, yeah, Bud is holding a, a lead of 135,000 votes with That's 95% reporting. That's Even though North Carolina tends to be a very, you know, it tends to be a swing state, but it usually swings red. So I, I am not entirely surprised by this. Uh, I think that, that if North Carolina goes red um, and now, you know, Herschel Walker with 86% reporting, is still holding a 3,000-vote lead, Mm. which is just amazing, of Raphael Warnock. They're both holding at 49%. But here's what you need to know, ladies and gentlemen. Chase Oliver is the Libertarian candidate, and he's holding a solid 2% of the vote. If he holds 2%, then it really doesn't matter what Warnock and Walker do. This is likely going to go to a runoff. So... I think that's an advantage to Warnock. So you're looking at it from how much the third person has keeping them from being able to reach their 50. I agree. But, okay. And you don't think there's enough for that, for his 2% to go down. There's not enough outstanding votes. Honestly, at this point. um, They're 86% reporting. Yeah. At this point, I really can't say if that's likely or not. It probably isn't. But, you know, who knows? We never talk about Rhode Island and Delaware. Why is that? We just not care. Uh, it's not that we don't care. I just don't know how much is actually there that we would want to. I just noticed that like those are about. states we've never talked about. What's going on? What other state? We're oh, Lee what's Zeldin. going on? I know what I want to know. What's going on in Wyoming with Lynette Grable? I'll check that out in a minute. Uh, Lee Zeldin has closed the gap again on Kathy Hochul. It is now an eight point eight point. But how uh, much reporting? Seventy nine percent reporting. Yeah. Uh, She's going to win, but not by a lot. She might. Again, you never know. He just keeps chipping away. So you don't know. But once you get to a certain amount of reporting, they know based on statistics. That's what statistics do is they help you know these things. They know that there's not enough room to gain. You know at a certain point. Daniel McKee wins easily. It's a 
Rhode Island's a very good I was state. joking about that. I don't uh, care. I want to know what's going on in Wyoming with Lynette Grable. Wide open? I, wide open? That's what I want to know. I want to know what's going Lynette on Grable. in Wyoming. So, Mark Gordon. Yeah, this is as red state as it gets. I know. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, Harriet Hageman is going to win re-election over Lynette. Lynette, you know, great She's lady. A, yeah. Happy there to were other, I'm trying to think, like, we need, I, I wish I had more of a list offhand of all the people we've had on to, like, check. Because there were a lot. Um, we had somebody in and one thing Colorado. You, one thing you also have to remember, guys, is it, there is the money factor as well. If your campaign's not funded, you can't win. No, so, especially in these big states like that. I don't know. Like in a small state, if you have like a good canvassing game, I guess. But some of these states that are big, yeah, I, it's just too much. So it looks like, oh, it look, well, it's still too early. I don't know. Way who too that early is. in Montana. Matt Rosendale, Monica. Do you Trudeau. know these people? No. I didn't realize they're running that. in two different districts. So those I are thought different. that Montana only had one congressional district. I guess no, they, they have two districts. But then why? I don't understand. So then there's two people or just two districts? No. Oh, oh, I see. They're just running so far. Oh wow! So an independent is running. You see, that's what you have to do in states where this is again. The Democratic Party is going to have to have a reckoning. Of a substantial, of, 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 of an immense proportion. Well, where that's they have to what's realize, happening right now with Charlie Chris losing by how many points? <laughs> Twenty points. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's an awakening, people. The Democratic Party is dying in many ways, right. and so the idea that in Montana you have an independent that has a seven-point lead over the Democratic candidate, come on. Oh, that's although that is Montana. It is, but that's Montana. I'm what? surprised they even have Democrats in Montana. I don't know where they would be. Don't you in watch Min- Yellowstone? Ooh, yeah. that's coming this week, next week. Minnesota. What's going on there? Uh, the gubernatorial race, Tim Waltz wins. Uh, just want to know what's happening with uh, Keith Ellison, if he's going to win uh state attorney general's race. I'll uh, sleep better once I know Katie Porter's one. That's the other one for me. So, yeah, we're just kind of uh, at this point, just trying to see where the numbers are at. Uh, Tony Evers, uh, his numbers have closed. People are, of course, looking at the overall. Do they keep the House? Do they keep the Senate? Blah, 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 blah. Six of one, half a dozen the other. What matters are particular people that are worth anything can can keep their seats. Ron Johnson has uh, opened up a lead against Mandela Barnes. He's now up by two and a half, almost three points. Oh, uh, that's not good. 79% is reporting. It's not looking too good for Mandela at this point. Um, as far as any others go, uh, let's just see if Tudor Dixon has closed the gap in any way in against uh, I miss Gretchen Tim Whitmer. Russer. Gretchen Whitmer is holding a four-point lead with 42% reporting. That's- Michigan's going to take a while. That's not a state that's going to get called anytime soon. And as far as the... Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is concerned. John Fetterman continues 77% reporting though. Yeah. Continues to hold a one, almost a one and a half point lead. So mm-hmm. a lot has happened. A lot of information we obviously have been given. Uh, I don't know. Yes. Uh, Alaska is one district uh, comedy calamity. 
So yeah, uh, it's been a good night. We've gone quite a while. It is I'm, the like, witching hour. Now. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Uh, but we will have a lot to talk about tomorrow night at 8 p.m. We will have Beth Macy. Macy. I was going to say Casey, Lacey, Macy. Beth Macy. Beth Macy of Dope Sick. And her new book is called Raising Lazarus. So very important. So we hope to see you guys tomorrow night. We hope you enjoyed the coverage. We tried to give you as much information as possible that was relevant. We had some good viewership for a little while, but obviously- There's so many people live right now. We're competing with everybody. Yeah, everybody's live. Tim Pool's got like 75,000 watching. Yeah, it's like there's so many people live right now. There's no way. Oh, our little show that could. Lots to talk about. That's what I feel like. We're like the little engine that could. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for your support. We'll see Bye you tomorrow all. night. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.